Hello, everybody, and welcome to Turn to Page, Season 3, Book 2, Sherlock Holmes Solo Mysteries, The Black River Emerald. How are you doing, fellow detective? I'm doing incredibly well, Rito, and yourself? Very good, except there was a scary noise. Uh, Sherlock, could you please look into that? What was that? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> uh, well, ah, I can detect it's nothing to be worried about. This is simply the Mothman cryptid that haunts this area. Oh, that's fine. I like him. Yeah. He's usually depicted nothing with to worry about. Yeah. He's usually depicted with cake. <laughs> the real mystery is how do you get so caked up? <laughs> He's a moth. Lots of sweaters, I guess. Many mortal minds have been driven insane <laughs> trying to understand the truth of this. <laughs> You yeah, mortal minds are simply not ready for this jelly. <laughs> <laughs> and then their brains go all bootylicious. <laughs> Anyways, it's Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, curse of the River Emerald. The Black River Emerald? Black River yes. Curse of the Emerald. The Black River Emerald. It was that. There was no curse. Yeah. There's no... no well, hey, don't you don't know yet. There's always a chance for a curse. It's, uh, the best curses go undiscovered. So, we also My have... My favorite uh, curse is still gosh dang. <laughs> just hits perfectly. I like our beans. Mmm, our beans is a strong one too. This is a strong one. Uh, you know what else is a strong one? Johnny Curbstomp gets to be back at That's it again today. That's true. Theoretically. We have our three athletics, our negative two in artifice, sneakiness, etc. Uh, a one in intuition, a one in uh, COM, which is either combat, compassion, uh, communication. 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 <laughs> OBS for observation, we also have another. In. And then negative two in schooling. We didn't learn good. Yeah, I. my only bummer, and I mean, I guess we could house rule it, I didn't, but it feels cheaty, but is I wish we got some kind of improvement to one of those stats for solving our case, like we leveled up, you know? I... Considering the fact that these uh, these cases will be sequential one after the other, I think that would just end up with a ridiculously stacked character. It's true, but also we intentionally beefed our character. <laughs> That's true. I mean, we got to use it in, in one ways. check, and in we two... succeeded that check, even though it was like a five. <laughs> yeah, we succeeded the check, even though any of our other skills that had plus one would have also succeeded on that check. <laughs> <laughs> the only time. Yeah. Anywho. Uh, I guess we're we're gonna get into it, but it gives us a little map here, which is giving me a little bit of fear from the Grail Quest series. I feel yeah. like it's just for world building, though. I believe so. It might be an important clue of like, ah, oh, how could they get from the train station to uh, Baker Street in that period of time? They're on opposite sides of the world, etc. Yeah, there's also Eaton Square down there. That's uh, mm, that's what I call. Yeah, dang it. <laughs> I was going to say, that's what they call the um, the food court at my local mall, the Eaton Square. Ah, uh, 
That's that's what aliens call sandwiches. The Eaton Square. It's an Eaton Square. It's square. It's for eating, silly. Um. Anyways, let's see. More jokes on this map. More jokes. No, no I got nothing. That's Eaton Square. That's that's the gold mine on that one. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to the prologue. More <laughs> map. No, no. Mrs. Hudson stands on the stairs, a rug at her feet, and a broom in her hand. I'm afraid Mr. Sherlock Holmes won't have time for a lad like you. He's got much more important matters to attend to. You'd best be off. You recognize her from what you've read about Sherlock Holmes. Hello, Miss Hudson. She seems pleased. I must see Mr. Holmes. You take advantage of her mood and dash past her up the stairs on 221 Baker Street. Come back here. You find yourself before the door of Mr. Sherlock Holmes, breathing hard. You knock quickly and loudly. The only way that Johnny Curbstomp can. A pleasant-looking man in a suit and a waistcoat opens the door, looking down at you. Yes? He inquires, as you recognize him as well. Dr. Watson, I would like to see Mr. Sherlock Holmes. My dear boy, Mr. Holmes is presently on a case. Not to be disturbed. The game is afoot. Perhaps if you leave your name and come back in a few weeks, despite the fact that you are my cousin, <laughs> I do not know your name. Or perhaps... Oh, no. He smiles modestly and rocks back on his heels. I could help, maybe. I have solved a case or two in my time. He coughs modestly. I must see Mr. Holmes. You dash past him into the room. Books litter the tabletops, shelves, and floor. The spiral end of a violin juts out below the fading leaves of a manuscript. A bony hand grabs you by your suit coat and lifts you into a chair beside the window. Well, who have we here? You look up to see a beak-like nose, drooping eyelids, and gray eyes as bright as and keen as rapiers, which gaze down at you intently. Sherlock Holmes lights his pipe and studies you. A schoolboy at Belton School in Shropshire. One of our cousins from across the sea. I should guess, an American by the name of David Rogers? Well, why? No. That's right, but I go by Johnny Curbstomp now? <laughs> so they had... It, it's... <laughs> <laughs> they hit you with. They said a, we could create our own, own character. character, but also I. <laughs> well, that's right. You can make your own character as long as it's not the character from the previous one, because they were related to Mr. Watson, and, and also as Rogers. long as. Yeah, they have to be <laughs> David Rogers, an American. <laughs> uh, that's right. You sputter amazed. I. S- <laughs> I say, Holmes. How in the devil? Because we would have said yes, no matter what he said. <laughs> Watson exclaims. If I explain, you'll find my deductions obvious. Holmes sighs. The boy is wearing a uniform of a public school. The monogram BS on the pocket indicates Belton School, one of our great boarding schools, which has sadly fallen on hard times. His name written on the inside of his coat, which I read when I lifted it. As for being an American, well, his accent, of course, gives away his nationality. Oh, well, of course! Watson replied. Oh, you're right, that does seem obvious. Holmes turns to you. Tell me, have you come by some newfound wealth? Or was this jacket a gift? A, a gift? You tell him, amazed. It's a gift from my best friend, Mark Avery. Holmes, I say! Watson interjects. Holmes raises pipe. What singular point do you notice about the clothes? Watson shrugs. Oh, they seem to me like a typical public school uniform. You see, Watson, but you do not observe. Holmes notes. 
the trousers are old and threadbare, while the shoes are worn to the peculiar diagonal on the heel that portrays a long history of walking pigeon-toed. They exhibit signs of considerable wear, as does the shirt. Now, notice the frayed collar and cuffs, and the cracked third button. But the jacket! Watson, the jacket is a different case. Just the fashion police on this man. <laughs> Just rude. Holmes grabs your coat sleeve. This wool is the highest quality merino lamb's wool from New Zealand, the softest wool in the world. The coat has a fine stiffness as well, which comes from camel hair blended with the wool. Well, from the fibers, I would guess that Mongolian camel hair from the coat of the two-humped Bactrian camel and the tailoring. Watson, notice the intricate stitching for which our tailors are renowned. There are, of course, a number of other details I could list, but this jacket is so distinct from his other clothes and of such superior quality and condition that he must have been either given it or come into some small fortune to purchase such an item. You feel the jacket sleeve before speaking. I had no idea that Mark had been so generous. He gave it to me for Christmas because well, mine was coming apart. My parents aren't wealthy and can only just afford to send me this to the school. And Mark thinks I stole the emerald! Oh, no wonder he feels so bitter. Tears sting your eyes. He was my best friend. An emerald was stolen. Holmes inquires calmly. It was Mark's father. Father? It was Mark's father's. <laughs> ah, y'all have a weird ah. Uh, I don't like it. It was Mark's father's. Father's. <laughs> father's. It was Mark's dad's. <laughs> he had it in a strong lockbox in our room. Imagine. Watson says, scoffing. Mark told me the stone was priceless, a rare jewel from the Indian trade in South America or someplace. And Mark blames me. He thinks I took it, but I didn't. Oh, there, there, lad. We believe you. Watson says, putting his hand on your shoulder. Holmes, this lad's at his wit's end. Holmes lights his pipe. Tell me, what is your roommate's name? Mark Avery? The Averys of Lockland Hall? That's right. Holmes frowns and goes to his shelves. He takes a thick volume from the shelves and flips through the pages. Does the stone look like this? To your amazement, he points to the drawing of a very jewel that was stolen. Even in the picture, the jewel seems to gleam. Exactly! The legend under the stone reads, The Black River Emerald. Holmes shuts the book and frowns. So, the Black River Emerald has been stolen. He takes a puff from his pipe. Watson, if you would be so kind as to look up the Black River Indians... Watson takes down a great volume, rifles through the pages, and then hands it to Holmes. Black River, tributary to the Amazon, Indians and warrior tribe visited by Irish monks, 1856, and 1863 to 65, failed to convert, abandoned mission, brought back tales of a magical stone. Well, that's not a great deal of information. He closes the book and pulls on his pipe. What the deuce did Mark bring the school to uh, the jewel to a scared school at all? Watson exclaims. He lost. Hang on, this is us. He lost a foolish bet with one bet with one of the other boys in the society, Richard Bingley. That was his end of the wager to bring the jewel that he was always boasting about—a treasure that Richard claimed he had invented. Check off clue MM. Interestingly, in the the prologue. You pause before continuing your explanation. If he didn't bring the emerald, Mark would have lost face with the others in the group and faced expulsion from the society. 
It was particularly stupid because there had been a number of thefts at the school recently, even another while Mark had the emerald at the school. Of course, the teachers and headmasters searched the school top to bottom each time, but they couldn't find any of the stolen goods. Chekhov clue XX. After a deep breath, you go on. Anyway, his father indulged Mark. Indulged Mark. He adores his son. He let Mark bring it for just the month between fall break and Christmas holidays, which are coming up this Friday. We may seem like silly schoolboys to you, but the society was the most important thing at school. I couldn't believe that I got in. I was only accepted because of Mark. Tears well in your eyes again, and you curse yourself. Oops, I say. Watson exclaims and puts a hand on your shoulder. Reminds me of my old days in the regiment. Nothing finer than a friendship. Did I ever tell you how Jenkins and I... Whom do you expect? Suspect, rather. Holmes interrupts briskly. Only five of us even knew about the jewel. The members of the Society of Five. Mark didn't want to publicize the fact that he had a priceless treasure lying around. I'm just thinking of the Society of Five, and one of them's name is Johnny Curbstomp. We're going to induct a new member. Who's going to die? Uh, you see on Holmes' keen, alert face, a tightening of the lips, a quiver of the nostrils, and a concentration of his tufted brows. Five, you say? Who are the five? Well, Mark, of course, but he couldn't have been the thief. He was the owner. Anything is possible, however improbable, Holmes says, relighting his pipe. And then myself. Oh, and a boy named Oxy Oxfield. A great hulking bully, just like his name <laughs> says. I first thought of him. He was fascinated by the stone, as a child might be. Chekhov clue. Ooh. Oh, oh. So we have two, we have a bully and Johnny Curbstop. Okay, this is sounding more like a... I, I, just like a frat. Nightmare blunt rotation. <laughs> Holmes' eyes seem to burrow into your soul as you continue talking. When Mark would bring the stone to our secret meetings, Oxy would sit just staring at the glow, this great hulking bully who mauled you just for walking down the hall, all calm and quiet, like he was in a spell. And I can understand why, too. The stone seemed kind of magical. I, I tell you, there was this magic kind of feeling that you had when you were near it. Hmm. Holmes murmurs, exhaling a wreath of smoke. Who else was a member of the Five? Well, there's Oxy's best friend, Muskrat. They've been quarreling over money. His name is actually Ken Rafferty. Muskrat, we call him because he gives off this strange musky smell. <laughs> we call this, we call him dummy idiot because of the account that he is stupid and we don't like him. Uh, Holmes's eyes take on a hard glitter. Where is this Muskrat Rafferty from? Uh, Brighton, I think he told me. His father's very rich and... Finance or trade? Holmes chuckles to himself. <laughs> Finance, trade. Well, you could call theft and burglary that. Belton's school must have fallen on hard times indeed. What do you mean, Holmes? Watson wonders. I've met the lad's father, Ken Rafferty, once, at the other end of a loaded pistol. At least, I would wager this muskrat as the son, for Ken Rafferty, too, has the aspect of a rat. And that very peculiar smell. I know just what the boy here means. They must be related. I'd wager on that. Ken Rafferty is one of the most famous black market figures in Europe. Check off clue pee pee. 
<laughs> this case takes on a distinct interest. So you think Muskrat took the emerald? You inquire. Leaving to conclusions is often the most misleading error for an investigator. Who else is a member of the five? Holmes inquires. Um, Richard Bingley. His father's a nobleman, Sir George Bingley. Oh, of course. The Bingleys of Dunworth Manor. Holmes says, growing animated. A line which traces their nobility back to the War of the Roses. His great-grandfather was a baron of the Exchequer, and another ancestor was the lieutenant general in the battles against Louis the Fourteenth, I believe. Curious that boy isn't going to Eton or Harrow. He said it was a family tradition to attend Belton. You reply. We heard rumours, though, that he'd been a father at several other schools. Richard was Mark's best friend before me, but then they had a falling out, after both were already in the society. And they're now just very bitter towards each other. No one even found out what caused the fight. Holmes taps on his pipe. So young Bingley, too, had a motive. Check off. Clue QQ. You can cut the air between them with a knife, Mr. Holmes. We five are the only boys who knew anything about that jewel. Does anyone else at the school, other than the father, know that he brought the jewel to the school? Anyone Mark might have mentioned? Well, the headmaster, of course. Mark did tell the headmaster about the stone, just in case something happened to the emerald. Holmes appears keenly interested. I see. What is he like? The headmaster? Oh, I can't imagine Mr. Muller. You begin, but Holmes's strict glance brings you up. Well, Mr. Muller is not the best-liked man at Belton. He's a thin old man with a hatchet face. There's something mean about him, Mr. Holmes. His nickname. The boys call him, well, Iron Bottom? I see. And how was the jewel stolen? Mark kept it in an emerald, and kept the emerald rather in a strong box, and then he had a, hid that in a huge steamer trunk in our room. He kept the keys on both around a chain on his neck. The only other keys to the strong box were held by his father, and another in the bank vault in Paris. The strong box, made of wrought iron, was specially designed for moving this jewel. Mark already told me that. The craftsman boasted that it was impossible to break into. Not an idle boast, either, because Mark already asked me to try. So then, we come to Stu, who stole the keys, I suppose. Holmes glances with... Wait, hold on. Which one's Mark? Mark... Uh, Mark Avery, our best friend. Okay. Who had the jewel stolen from them. All right. <clears throat> Holmes glances with some interest and amusement at Watson. A keen reasoner. We're fortunate, Watson, to have such an astute reporter. You fight off a blush. The keys were lost on the rugby field, according to Mark. He'd just stolen the ball from Oxy after the scrum, and Oxy, apparently enraged, viciously tackled him and brought him to the ground. Mark had the wing knocked out of him and lay unconscious as Oxy was on top of him, so everyone kind of gathered around. Chekhov Clue RR. Holmes bends towards you. Continue. When Mark came to, several minutes later, the keys and the chain were gone. And what of the other three boys? Where were they? All of us play rugby. It's compulsory. So we were all gathered around him. Rafferty, who seldom leaves Oxy's side, even on the playing field, was close by. I can't say about Bingley, although he's our star scrum half and he was on the field at the time. And Muller? Mr. Muller, I mean, now that you mention him, is our rugby coach. He's an old Oxford rugger blue. He played wing three-quarter for the internationals. And he never really tires of reminding us. 
when he was young, if he ever was young, probably seemed 50 even then. Rugby gives him his big chance to make his run until we drop. I remember Mr. Muller running over to Mark and kneeling beside him to see if he was injured. So any one of them could have taken the chain from Mark. Mr. Holmes concludes. You glance out the window at the crowd passing below. I suppose. Or the chain could have fallen off. And perhaps someone found it later. I thought it was Oxy because he was right on top of Mark and he seemed so fascinated by the emerald. Oh, one other thing. This younger boy, Higby Ross, told me that he saw Bingley running towards the woods during the commotion that followed when Mr. Muller canceled Praxis? Chekhov clue S.S. I see, says Holmes, lighting his pipe again. And then when did Mark notice that Longbox, the Strongbox rather, had been broken into? When he got back to the infirmary after dinner. You recall? They took him to the infirmary because he was in such pain. When he realized the key might have been stolen instead of lost, he left the infirmary and hobbled all over to our room. Hobbled over to our room, rather. Good lord. The strongbox was gone. Anyone could have stolen it during the dinner. Of course, the rooms were searched, but the thief could have hidden the jewel on grounds or in the woods. So any of the five, the four students or the headmaster, could have stolen the keys on the field and taken the strongbox during dinner. Holmes concludes, check off clue TT. We have all of them. Except, except that I was the only one who knew where the strongbox was hidden. You remind Holmes. That's why Mark accuses me. The strongbox was in the shape of a cigar box. Mark had a special false bottom in the steamer trunk that hid the box below it. Check off clue why why. Again, concern almost overwhelms you. Since we were roommates and best friends, Mark showed the emerald to me. He was quite proud of his father's cleverness. And he doesn't think that anyone else would have discovered the box. Mr. Holmes, you have to hurry. We're not getting anywhere towards solving the mystery. In your frustration and fear, you rush to the window overlooking Baker Street. I am not certain that we have the proper clues to make any valid deductions yet. Holmes says, putting down his pipe. But you have presented us with some points of singular interest. For example, how the keys stolen brought daylight before a crowd of boys. You could have had enough access to your room to discover the false bottom to the trunk. And precisely, where is the jewel? Also, is the Rafferty boy the son of the well-known criminal? And if so, is he working for his father? Pick a number and add your observation bonus. Which is a plus one, not that we need it, that brings us to 12. That was an 11 plus one. So we passed the check because we got a seven or above. We're going to go to 164. I'm going to take a brief moment to complete the rest of the deductions that I did not have time to oh, scroll yeah, sure. down. All right, that's all of them copied down. All right. So if, if we were worried at all about having you know, twice as many clues uh, yeah. available for us to find in this, half of half of the alphabet has already been discovered. Dang. To be clear, it, it, they are like the double of a letter too. So it seems like cause there's going to be all the alphabet, mm. and then theoretically all the alphabet double-lettered. Yes, exactly. I imagine, so. you know, the the single letters will be conclusions that we have come to as a result of joining the uh, pre-existence of a pieces of information. In theory. As if summoned up by mentioning him, you notice Muskrat Rafferty making his way along the street below Holmes's window. That's him! You bend towards the window, astonished to see Rafferty strolling down Baker Street. 
If you follow him, turn to 133, or if you stay with Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson, 300. Hmm. Well, that's a right choice. It is indeed. I mean, we could we could go get some more information and leave Holmes and Watson to, to ponder over what we've given them so far. It's true. I don't mind it. Let's do it. I think we're more uh, men of action in this. We're gonna... Oh, exactly. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, right. exactly. You dash down the steps and out the door, ignoring Dr. Watson's cries to stop. Oh, shoot. <laughs> That's not good. As you reach the streets, you see Muskrat turn off into another street and give chase. You reach the corner and see him step past an old lady with a parasol in the heart of a crowd. You push on, struggling to reach him. Pick a number and add your athletics bonus. Need an eight or a higher. I mean, we do it. Did you roll a five? No, we do it. But it's uh, it's annoying that I rolled a nine because it means we would have done it anyways, regardless of Mm -hmm. our giga strength. But uh, for what it's worth, it is a twelve. So two seventy nine. You struggle through the crowd after Muskrat. Slowly catch up to him, staying far enough behind that he won't notice you. He walks into the train station and sits at one of the station's restaurants. You notice a group of shabbily dressed men smoking and laughing in a corner of the station. A tinker with his wheel and two policemen flirting with a nanny. Watching the restaurant, you approach the tinker and idly watch the wheel spin against a knife blade. Return to the flat or wait for muskrat. I mean, I feel like we should get the reward of being here and at least wait, right? Hmm. Or no. Yeah. Let's go for it. 261. I just wanted to figure out if there was any possibility in giving Holmes additional information that we've found of where Muskrat was on his way to. Oh, honestly, I actually like that. All right, let's do that then. 338. 338. You return to 221 Baker Street, hoping that Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson have not left. You knock and stand blushing as Watson opens the door. Where in the devil have you gotten off to? Watson asks. Most extraordinary, dashing off like that. Come in, Holmes says, smiling. Watson, we have a heavens. He's a Baker Street regular at heart. It makes me feel a little easier. As you catch your breath, Holmes reaches for the pipe and tobacco, turn to 300. As you catch your breath, Holmes sighs, laying down his pipe. I am afraid that we cannot assist you at present. I have a most important matter to attend to. I would suggest the local constabulary. That would surely be the way to lose Mark's friendship. You reply, aghast at Holmes's counsel. They would alert his father. When Mark discovered that the jewel was stolen, he insisted that Muller not call the police, and Muller, I suppose to keep the school free of scandal, obliged him. Hmm. If we can, we shall try to visit you there, but I'm afraid that for now you are on your own. Holmes concludes. But you must write me daily and describe whatever you find. I will put my head to the matter and make a few discreet inquiries. Perhaps you shall hear from me by post. But now we must be off, Watson. Pick a number and add your observation bonus. That is a six plus one, which is a perfect seven, which we need. So 340. Leaving Holmes's flat, he reached the main thoroughfare and, with a jolt of recognition, noticed Richard Bingley moving through the crowd, marching off down a crowded street. Follow him, 319, or go to 224. I mean, we have nowhere else to be. Yeah, 319. 
You doggedly follow Bingley through a seamy side of London to Upper Swantham Lane, a filthy alley lurking behind the high wharfs and which line the north side of the Thames. The smell of opium fumes drift up from the steps which plunge into the dark basements of the buildings along the lane. Richard moves past a gin shop and enters an old pawn shop. With the windows darkened with grime, old musical instruments, silverware, tea setting, and a bric-a-brac and bric-a-brac are displayed in the shop windows. You slowly approach and see Richard hand the owner several items, which you strain to discern. Pick a number and add observation. Come on, tell me he's selling the emeralds. We got him. <laughs> I got a observation, so I had a plus one. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it's a seven, which is one off of what we needed. Dang, two thirty-four. <laughs> I'll also say there's no way in hell that you could just like, oh, he's selling the emerald right now, right? Surely not. <laughs> that would just be too easy. It it would be. It would be anticlimactic. Yeah, it just wouldn't be. It wouldn't be a good story. If like you catch him, and you win. You stumble against the pawn shop window. Bingley and the pawn shop clerk turn towards the window, and you step back, hiding. Bingley and the clerk turn back to the items before them. A clarinet and snuff boxes block the window where you stand. You can't discern what items the pawnbroker takes. Turn to 317. The owner and Bingley bicker. The owner reaches beneath the counter and counts out the money, which she hands to Bingley. You estimate the roll of bills to be worth 30 pounds. Check off clue A. You race away from the shop as Bingley comes towards the door. By the time you try and follow him again, he is lost in the crowd of hawkers and beggars along the main thoroughfare. Resignedly, you make your way to the train station. Turn to 224. Hmm. I mean, still useful information. Yeah, I've mean, got a clue. On your way to the station, you contemplate the loss of the key on the rugby field. What would Holmes have noticed that you have missed? Holmes said to consider all those who've been told about the jewel, even Mr. Muller, the headmaster. As the rugby coach, he too had gathered around the mark the mark on the field <laughs> mark the mark of the crime pick a number and add your intuition bonus that's a seven plus one so that is cor correct <laughs> we needed a seven that'll got get us to 129 got an eight yes thank you for rescuing me muller had knelt, knelt beside the fallen boy while all of the other players gathered around mark on the ground Mr. Muller brushed them aside and held Mark's head in his hands, testing Mark's awareness and reflexes with a curious circular motion of his hands in front of Mark's face. He was the only other suspect who spent much time near Mark when he was knocked out. Check off clue B. Of course, the chain key could simply have come off, fallen onto the grass, and found by any of the suspects. Turn to 361. A hand, curious hand motion. He's trying to hypnotize... Magic style? Mm. Is he a wizard? Maybe trying to uh, pull direction away, misdirection, something a magician might do. Maybe we find out that Mr. Muller had a previous life as a magician and was good at misdirection, and that ends up being another clue. I'm legitimately considering the possibility, though. Keeping it in mind. You stumble to the railway station to catch the train to school. At the ticket window, handsome and vain Richard Bingley greets you with... Old sport! And he tells you he's been to see a play. He smiles heartily at you and says, I hear our great friend has turned on you too. His thin lips twist bitterly beneath the Roman nose and high aristocrat aristocratic brow of his family line. I suppose so, you say. 
Phil's Mark still thinks that I stole the emerald. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, ah, jeez, old bean. So good. Why can't we still talk like that? Hmm. Hard cheese, old bean. It's also what I call uh, a bachelor's lunch. Hmm. Hard, Just one bean. Hard Not cheese. Beans. Hard cheese and old bean. You try and figure out if he's mocking you. He never did really tell me why you had a falling out. Neither will I. Bingley says, his aquiline features hardening into marble. But I knew all of... I knew all along he would pay. He laughs bitterly and takes a puff of his thin Galliardi cigar, which he smokes flaunting the school rules in front of the other students and teachers alike, as if daring them to punish the wealthiest and most famous student. I just knew he'd pay. It's enough to make one religious. <laughs> hey, pretend you don't know me. When you're on the train, I have a girl. He laughs again as the train chugs past the others into the station in a gush of smoke and steam. Turn to 293 and buckle up. After an uneventful train ride to Belton Village, you take a coach back to the school. Other students returning from the weekend gather at the gates. Melancholy and a sense of something almost approaching doom steal over you as you pass through the gates of Belton School. It's called the feeling of having to go to school. Mm. Beyond the gateway, the old trees shoot their branches in som a somber tunnel over your head as the carriage wheels are hushed by the leaves on the drive. You ride up to the main building, Perkins Hall, a large stone edifice, very old at the center, newer at the wings, with towering Tudor chimneys and a lichen-spotted, high-pitched roof of Horsham slabs. The building is sinking into a dilapidated condition, the neglect even more obvious the more, in the more recent wings than the original stone hall. The front steps are worn into curves by the feet of generations of schoolboys, and the ancient tiles on the portico floor marked with the Belton coat of arms. A dormant owl clutching a quill pen above the field of swords are argent, are dulled, from the ceaseless beatings of a winter rain. Within the ceilings are laid with heavy oaken beams, and the uneven floors sag and moan. The odor of age and decay pervade the whole school. You shuffle with the others to the dining room, a dark wood-paneled hall of shadow and gloom. The room is a long chamber with a step separating the dais. Where the masters sit. From the lower area reserved for the students, at one end, a minstrel's gallery overlooks the room. Black beams cross over your head, with a smoke-darkened ceiling beyond them. With rows of flaring lamps to light it, and student students' boisterous hubbub, the hall can sometimes assume the color and rude hilarity of an old-time banquet. But tonight, with the lamps dim, and the prospect of another week of discipline ahead, the hall seems somber. A line of headmaster's portraits along the walls seem to keep watch over the diners as the food is served. So, have we polished our performances for Thursday's talent night? Muskrat shouts to the table. I wouldn't even go near it. Richard Bingley sneers with his arist aristocratic lilt. And please, spare us your rendition of a little bit of heaven known as mother as a favor, old sport. Oh, that, your majesty, is the best performance of the lot. Muskrat sneers. That does not qualify as a compliment, I would like to note. Bingley adds. What is this rot? Oxy cries, his mouth full of food, letting his fork fall. Good God! Bingley etches the food around his plate with his fork. Liver and cauliflower and now this? A curious grey mess resembling mortar. 
Oatmeal is perhaps the best guess lies on your plate. The meals have been getting worse for a month, the lamps dimmer, the mood gloomier. Perhaps this is a literature assignment? Researching Robinson Crusoe. You suggest nodding towards the oatmeal? They're giving us a real flavor of the book. Even dear old Robbie ate better than this. Oxy mutters. I wonder what our dear masters are having tonight. Bingley says and cranes towards the dais where different food is served to the teachers. Only mutton stew. They're sleeping as well. Muskrat scoops up a spoonful of the oatmeal. I read in my Gleek glories today that this bloke Archimedes invented the catapult which helped him win a war. Now, that I could enjoy researching. Muskrat pounds the handle of the spoon and launches a large dab of the grey mess hitting Oxy in the face. It's research! Muskrat cries and launches a dab at Bingley as the table bursts into laughter and applause. Research! Spoons are lifted at the queue and the grey mess flies. The riot spreads down a long table. Even one of the tutors seems to be launching a great dollop of the mess with his serving spoon. Fists pound the tabletops and chant of... Roast beef! Roast beef! Fills the hall as the masters come down from the dais. My father is paying money for this, Bangley says. Whatever became of rich, wholesome meals elegantly served... Eventually, Headmaster Muller enters the dining hall and admits the riot. The hall quiets, and you notice Muskrat slip into the kitchen. What seems to be the cause of this disturbance? Mr. Muller demands of the senior master. Muskrat enters from the kitchen with a fresh plate of the gray food and brings it up to Mr. Muller. Smiles pass from student to student in a most insolent tone. Muskrat whines. Sir, we've been keeping your dinner warm. So delicious, we thought you'd like a plate. Smiles and titters flit around the hall, and Muller looks down at the food and frowns. I am not hungry at the moment, Miss Ravity. Take your seat. He turns to the diners. You will have no dessert. Otherwise, we will overlook this incident. Then he exits the hall, and later back at your dormitory, your room is a freezing cave of gloom. You light a fire with the last of the firewood and sit wondering if Mark will ever speak to you again. His new boots, with a W tread mark and a parallel horizontal ridge across the bottom, lie opposite you beneath the bed. They seem to mock you, for he has had taken you shopping in London, purchasing the boots at Harris's Bootery in the, in the Strand, and buying you a jacket at a nearby clothier. You'd shared sweet hot cross buns at the bun shop besides Harris's, and taken un the underground to the show at the Palladium, when you tried to pay for the tickets, he waved you off with, I'm dripping with funds. The family is simply dripping. <laughs> he said, wondering if you'll ever find the jewel and recover his friendship. As you sit quietly, Mark enters with a letter and goes to his desk. He has a broad, handsome face, his freckles reflecting his mother's Irish lineage. His friendly features now have only a hostility and disdain written all over them. He throws himself into a chair, rips open the envelope, and reads the letter. You recognize the return address as his father's. Mark's lips purse. His face turns white. He flings the letter towards the fireplace and springs at you, knocking you against the wall, his hands gripping your throat. You choke, gasping for breath. Mark's eyes seem to scald you with hatred. Give me the emerald, you filthy thief! He cries, his face wild with anxiety. You feel yourself blacking out. Pick a number and add your athletics and beat him up. We're going to throw him into the fireplace. That is an 8 plus 3, so that's an 11. I mean, at least we're killing these rolls. 
And we've also had three times the amount of athletics rolls we had in the entire last book. That's true. 362. You strike out against him with your fists, and Mark falls back against the far wall, stunned. Stumbles from room to room, cursing you. You stand and pick up the crumpled sheet beside the fire's glowing embers. Slumping into a chair, you smooth out the burnt sheet on the desk and try and read it. Turn to 356. The note is almost illegible. Pick a number and add your intuition bonus. And there is a indeed an almost illegible note that has been burnt. Uh, I would like an opportunity to write, uh, try and use my uh, real-world intuition bonus. All right. I'm going to roll. So I'm going to for any of the text that is completely illegible. Matter at hand has shh. I have to now you certain events have made possession of the stone extreme hazard to you and to myself as well it is of utmost importance that you bring the emerald home something 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 friday and you do this with utmost secrecy uh i could come to you something something would only cast both of us in a great danger. I will explain when I see you and how mean to warn you. Something something stone in consideration anger. In considerable anger. Considerable danger, yes, danger. Um, Something circumspect circumspect ah oh, good and closely and keep secret i something 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 my something with you with the and am confident that as an avery shall merit that full stop i have placed well, my trust in you with the and confident yes, that I'm, as an avery shall all right i think we did pretty good should we just say that that's a 10 I, I legitimately think we did pretty good, but uh, I think we should still roll for the character, to be fair. I got um, a I, However... I got a 10. You got a 10? I, well, I got, technically that's however, 11. this does bolster my original theory already, which is the very first thing I think Mark did it. I think it was like, I'm going to get this from my dad, mm. and then it's going to be stolen in the school, and then eventually when we report it, we're going to be able to claim insurance on it, and I'm going to have someone that I can point to and say, they did it, they did it the entire time. Uh, and the fact that he responded to this letter by trying to burn it, and then immediately choke the life out of us in order to, you know, perform the role of someone who believes that we did it, I think it's Mark. I that's where my hunch goes. My fear was that it's like a, and this is this is a meta a meta thing. My fear mm. was it is the first, like you should consider this person that we got, like a yes. do, Sherlock Holmes saying, "Do not rule out anyone. It could be them too." Like it it almost felt, it almost feels too obvious based on that. But if that didn't happen, I would have. Ben might get, but Mark is my... The, I, I won't spoil either of them, but the last two mystery games that I played, uh, in both of them, I was like, it's not that person, it's so obvious, and then it was that person. Yeah. I, I mean, it's my guess, too, but we'll see. We'll, we'll get more information. Let's go to 247. 
After considerable effort and ingenuity, you reconstruct most of the letter and read... Dear Mark, the matter at hand has assumed an importance far beyond what I told you. Certain events have made your possession of the stone an extreme hazard to you, and of course to myself as well. It is of utmost importance that you bring the emerald home with you when you come on Friday, and that you must do this with utmost secrecy. If I could come to you, I would, but that would only cast both of us in even greater danger. I will explain when I see you. I do not mean to alarm you, but while you have the stone with you, you are in considerable danger. Be circumspect. Guard the jewel closely, and keep all in secret. I have placed my trust in you with this, and I am confident that you, as an Avery, shall merit that trust. I look forward to seeing you for this end. You recognize Mark's father's seal on the envelope, so check clue C. Turn to 284. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that, that's it's a, a weird less burn. incriminating. It's, it, it's a weird letter to burn. Well, unless he feels guilt. Mm. And, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. The fear and anger you feel towards Mark dissolve with the knowledge of his plight. Turning into compassion and anxiety, this jewel must be found. You try and think how Mr. Holmes would reason. If you've eliminated all the impossibilities, that which remains, however improbable, must be the case. All seem possible suspects. Muskrat, Oxford, Richard, even Mr. Muller. Compose a telegram to Holmes along with a letter describing what you've discovered so far. Perhaps he has completed his other case and will come to your aid. Turn to 1.30. Yes, I'm done. It was Mark. <laughs> After classes the next day, you walk through the woods to the village. You send your letter and wire to Holmes. As you make your way through the woods, you notice Muskrat walking ahead of you. Appears to be slinking towards the cliffs where the caves are. If you follow him, 243, otherwise 195. I mean, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no Some sort of smuggler's cove? Oh, shoot. What, what page was it? I just... At 243. You hear strange cries of birds off through the trees. As you make your way after Muskrat, the bird cries intensify and surround you. You look up in the trees and the sun's rays piercing the forest gloom blind you. Where are the birds? Muskrat moves so quickly, and you follow. When you hear a whir and feel a rush of air against your cheek, a sharp knock sounds against the tree besides you. A dart sticks into the trunk. What in the world? You turn and see a small painted figure running behind the trees to your left as bird cries echo through the forest. Indians in England? If you chase the figure, 272, examine the dart, follow Muskrat. I mean, I think for our athletic... Follow Muskrat or yeah, chase the figure are probably the two most likely. Yeah. And out of the two, considering one of them is uh, firing darts, let's follow Muskrat. That's true. 313. You race after... Oh. oh, no. I see it too. After Muskrat as he heads towards the cliffs. You follow him behind a large rock to an opening of the cave, and the cave stretches behind a ridge where the rock turns red. Realizing you can go no further without being discovered, you mark the place in your mind, deciding to come back later and explore the cave when Rafferty is gone. Check off clue AAA. AAA! You walk hey. back quickly towards where the dart hit the tree. As you head between two large oaks, a pain seizes your chest as you spin around and round the treetops turning above you in dizzying kaleidoscopes of leaves, shadows, and sun rays. Vines bind your feet and you're pulled to a clearing birds jabber and cry echoing on either side of you. Pick a number and add your artifice bonus. 
Uh, I got a nine, but that doesn't Ooh. matter because that's minus yeah, not two. Not at all. Yeah. We need a nine to succeed this check. I got a nine, but we have minus two. So that's a rip. That's 157. Something pierces your arm. The sky swims above as you pass out. When you come to, your muscles ache and you burn with a fever. Pick a number and add your athletics bones. That's <laughs> 12 after. Uh, we're killing these It's rolls. good. That's far above a five. Yeah, that's a, it's a nine plus three. We're at 12. We needed a Wait, six. Wait, could we actually fail this? If we rolled a... Yeah, if we rolled a two, we would have failed this. Yes. Any other result, we would have succeeded. Yep. All right, to 370. I love that we're rolling a lot of athletics, though. Mm-hmm. Perspiration drenches your clothes. You find that you can roll towards cover and do so. You try and make out the men in the trees, but can't find them. Using your teeth, you pull the dart out, causing a piercing stab of pain. A boulder with a sharp face lies to your left, and you roll in that direction. Leaves and twigs scratching your face. Your shoulder aches so sharply that you could almost lose consciousness. You, your hands find the boulder's edge, and you cut the vines, listening intently. You stand weak and dazed and try and receive the dart. Pick a number and add your observation bonus for a 13. That's a 12 plus 1. Woo! Observed, observed, observed. 318. You study the dart, which has a sharpened metal point like that of a fish hook, and is stained black with liquid at the tip. Curare from South America. You examine the shaft, and a sheaf of paper unrolls. The paper on examination is a thin curl of birch bark with the following symbols on it. Discord died. We're back. The paper on examination is a thin curl of birch bark with the following symbols on it. And there's a bunch of symbols... Uh, that maybe we're going to have to parse. And the words roughly scribbled... Waterstone owls. Take, hurt, find, give. The uh, symbols that we see directly above it include an emerald being equated to water, as in the emerald is water, so I guess that's just like the emerald is waterstone. Uh, if you take it from us, we will fight you. Yeah, it's yeah. a person with the stone. They're getting an arrow shot at them. And then the person who shot the arrow has the stone. And then they have the and, stone and there's water underneath them. In mm, the, in the I final. wonder if... Yeah, I wonder if they mean to cast the stone into water. Yeah, maybe. Back into the Emerald River from which it came, maybe? Well, no. Either way, pick a number, add your scholarship bonus. I'm rolling yeah. out of my mind. Wait. Do you roll a 12? Oh, no. <laughs> no, I don't. I roll an 11. Ooh, I'm sorry. Without negative two, that is a oh. nine for our scholarship bonus. 366, our failure condition. God. Johnny Curbstomp, you idiot. All right, 366. Our plus three in athletics has made us succeed zero rolls that mm -hmm. we would have otherwise failed but our minus two and the other stuff boy has it um been impactful has it been impactful considering the books uh don't treat us as the same character anyways maybe there's a chance we re-roll a character for the future we'll see legitimately possible yes yeah uh sorry what page were we uh 265 now 265 after a long jaunt you reach Wait, really? Well, I mean, the the previous page to this was the 360-something, which was uh, just, uh, where is it? 318, turn to 366. Yes, yes, yes. 
366, which literally just says you pocket the dart and note and then go towards Belton. And check off Clue M, which you did, I assume. Mm-hmm. Okay, 265. After a long jaunt, you reach the edge of Belton Village. You wonder if you should go to the village constable with the dart, but remember Mark's opposition to such an action. On Main Street, Joe Miller, the local drunkard, always begging a few bob for a mug, approaches. He has a vile appearance and is coarsely clad, with a colored shirt protruding through the rent in his coat. A few bob for a man in need, eh? His grizzled stubble seems to scratch your face as he lunges unstably towards you, his breath burning against your skin, and you blush. You mutter that you can't help him as he grabs your coat sleeve. You think you're so high and mighty? You, you fine young men in your fancy garb, so, so high and mighty. Don't get me a laughing. You fancy young men that you're so dandy. <laughs> me and my brothers will teach you. Be you senseless. Don't put my hands around me. If you knew who my brother was, you wouldn't slip slide so quick. You talk to Miller, 339, otherwise 283. Sounds like a fight, 339, right? Yeah, Athletics. who's your brother? I'll beat him up too. <laughs> 3039. My brother will teach you. I'll punch you, bruv. The drunkard Miller says, his breath reeking, nausea overwhelms you. Oh, so you oh, have a great family, do you? You ask. Indeed I do. Brags Miller. Dukes and Earls? A giant, a giggle bubbles up from your lungs and he grabs your coat. What are you laughing at? Sorry? You pull out a shilling from your pocket. And would you be interested in having some refreshment? I wouldn't mind. Miller says. Tell me about your relatives. Hey, what's that? What are you trying to do? Miller scowls at you threateningly. Pick a number and add your communication bonus. Of which we get a... Plus eight one. plus one is a nine. <sighs> We're popping off for most most of the book. Uh, Hell yeah. 183. The drunkard's breath washes over you. Who is this famous brother of yours? You inquire. Miller's lunges first the shilling. Pick a number and add your artifice. Our minus two. Mm. You gotta roll a ten or a better here. I rolled an eight. Minus two. We needed an eight. We got an eight, but we lost our eight. 355. I believe it's 359. 359. (laughs) I took the good one. Miller grabs the coin and moves away from you. Laughing through his cigar stub, his teeth etched with brown decay, grinning at you as he pushes open the door of the pub. Annoyed, you head to the post office, deduct a shilling from your character record, and turn to 283. It's the first time we've actually had to spend any of our money. It's true. You reach the post office and climb the steps with relief. As you send a telegram and a letter to Holmes's men, Holmes mentioning the Indians, the man behind the counter stares at the address. That's odd. We just received a letter from that address. Are you a Johnny Curbstop? <laughs> uh, right? Here's a letter for you. Just come with the latest post. That will be six pence for the telegram and a penny for the letter. If you don't have any money, 316, otherwise 235, we have enough, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was a yes Discord cut. It was indeed. Six pence for the telegram and a penny for the letter. You pay the man and are handed Holmes's letter, deduct seven pence, and turn to 180. Whoa. The return- oh, boy. Whew. The return address is 221B Baker Street. You tear at the envelope and read. 
Mr. David Rogers, Belton School, Belton Village, December 18th. Dear David, the matter you mentioned to me has taken on considerable importance. Were I not involved in matters concerning some of the highest statesmen in Europe and the threat of war, I should come myself. You and your friend are in grave peril. The Black River Emerald is sacred treasure among a South American Indian tribe who live along the Black River, a tributary of the mighty Amazon. The Black River Indians, a particularly fierce warrior tribe, regard the Emerald as a sacred talisman, from which they derive the power to conquer hostile neighboring tribes. They believe that the Emerald is a star in the constellation of Iron, uh, Orion, rather, whom they call Gero, the warrior god. The star fell to earth during a fierce battle with the enemy gods and turned the color of the jungle. At any rate, without this stone, the Black River Indians are powerless. Their warriors will attempt to recover the stone at any cost. The Black River Indians were visited by Irish missionaries earlier in the century, who brought back tales of a fabulous green gem to our shores. A certain unscrupulous Irish trader named Mahoney got wind of the stone and ventured to South America in search of that very treasure. I've dealt with him before, and he is of the crudest sort. He smells of greed. Having seen what drink has done to so many of his countrymen, he employs its awesome powers in his own interest to rob the gullible. And who better than a tribe of natives, I guess? Wow. Man, these are going to get weird for good lord. Yeah. Uh... Who better than a tribe unfamiliar with the dizzying juice of the vine and the juniper berry? Having befriended the chieftains of the tribe, he plied them with liquor for days and walked away with their treasure while the Indians laughed or slept. He brought the stone here and sold it to Sir Winston Avery, a wealthy collector of gems and art. When the Indians regained their senses, having exhausted the store of gin that he left them, they found their heads weak, their stomachs queasy, and their treasure gone. To those of us with a keen a nose and fine a tracking skill as the Black River Indians, tracing Mahoney's foul sense was easy. Perhaps he thought they wouldn't dare cross a great ocean. Perhaps he underestimated their devotion to the stone. Whatever the case, he has paid dearly. I enclose a newspaper clipping to which I direct your attention. The best guess is that two or three of the Indians have come to our shores as stowaways to find the stone. They probably acquired a smattering of English from the missionaries, so they're not entirely lost here. If they could trace the stone to Mahoney, they can trace the stone to Sir Avery and to the Belton School. You must find the emerald and give it to Mark so that he can return it to the Indians, for the stone belongs to them. Whoever is so greedy as to grasp this star that burns will meet Mahoney's fate. If the warriors catch up to Mark and find that he can't give them the stone, he may forfeit his life. Contact the village constabulary. They can at least provide you and your friend with a measure of safety. Surely Sir Avery would prefer his son alive to any treasure. Why me as soon as you have any trace of the jewel? If possible, I will come to Belton very soon. Yours in haste, Sherlock Holmes. P.S. A useful note. The Black River Indians call each other using a distinctive bird-like cry. P.P.S. I will send a telegram tomorrow morning regarding Mr. Rafferty. Come to the post office to pick it up, to avoid arousing interest. PPPS, am I sending too many messages? <laughs> PPPS, milk, eggs, bread, <laughs> butter. <laughs> uh, PPPPS, how many episodes Breaking Bad Season 2? Oh, shoot. <laughs> Is this not Google? Okay. You read the enclosed newspaper clipping. Uh, 
You want you want to break? Art dealer found paralyzed. Okay. Found paralyzed in his rooms yesterday was the Irish art dealer Timothy Mahoney. In a bizarre and puzzling incident, Mr. Mahoney was found with a dart in his neck. The dart was tipped with poison, according to Inspector Lestrade of Scotland Yard. Mr. Mahoney was unable to move or speak and has not recovered. Mahoney has found a somewhat dubious reputation in the art business. An adventurer and a fortune hunter, he has traveled to distant regions in the world in pursuit of treasure. According to Inspector Lestrade, Scotland Yard has several valuable leads and continues to investigate this bizarre attack. After reading this article, you wonder if you should go to the village constable with the dart and Holmes's letter, but you remember Mark's desire to keep the theft a secret. You decide to return to the school to show him the letter and the dart. Warily, you make your way back to the school via the main road, a mile and a half long journey. At an old cart road leading off through the woods, you notice some boot prints. Pick a number and add observation, which we get a six plus mm. one. So we should be good on a six plus 326. We are indeed. Before we get there, though, yeah. hmm, I wonder if these might be the W print boot prints w that print Mark with Avery wavy on the bottom. Yeah, I'm thinking that's the case. Yeah. It was mentioned to clearly. The pattern left by a boot print catches your eye with parallel horizontal ridges and a W tread on the heel print. Seems familiar. Pick a number and add your observation bonus. Do we have to? Okay, we don't need to because we get a nine. Eight plus one. Because I was going to say, that'd be annoying. I mean, I, while our character might not have figured it out, we would definitely be able to act as though we had the information that these were Mark's boots, because we figured that out. That is true. You conjure up a boot lying sideways beneath the bed, Mark's bed. The prints are from Mark's boots. From Mark. Mark's shoes. The boots. They're Mark's. Recently, brought at, <laughs> bought at Harris's boot shop in the Strand. Check clue JJ. <laughs> if you follow the boot prints, 143, otherwise 311. We got good fight skill. Absolutely. We need to know what he was going to this, uh, going through this old road for. Follow the boot prints up the cart road. Weeds and tall grasses jut between the parallel tracks of the road. A slender tree leans across the road like a gate in the distance. You notice a different set of shoe prints along the road as well. Pick a number and add your observation. Uh, the most unnecessary 12 of all time because we just needed a five but hey 230 there's also a little map here is that weird yeah i'm not exactly certain what's being outlaid on that map interesting uh anyway 230 maybe the observation will help wait two, is it 230 yeah it's 230 oh yeah yeah you notice that the boot prints out with the w on the heel and horizontal ridges are on top of the other blueprints blueprints shoe prints boot prints dude prints Use your intuition bonus. Ooh, that's that that is a close one. That's a five plus one. Intuitions are a plus one, yeah? Yes. Okay, we needed a six, we got a six. Three oh six it is. You deduce that the maker of the ridged blueprints must have followed the maker of the shoe prints. Turn to one forty four. I mean, yo, we we saw that the W's were on top of the shoe prints. We could have figured that out. It's true. The prints follow the cart path for a quarter mile, and then you lose them. Looking to one side, you spy them heading into the woods and follow. The shoe prints go directly into a clearing that lead to a log beside the trees where they obscure each other with their profusion. Pick a number and add your observation bonus. That's an eight plus one. We are okay. We needed an eight. We got a nine. Need an eight. We got a nine. 302. Time to shine. Feeling fine. Drink some wine. Solve some crime. Near the boot prints, the butt of a thin cigar lies beside a tree. 
check clue ooh ooh pick a number and add your observation bonus again how many observation checks are we gonna pass <laughs> i i'm going to guess that we notice this thin cigar to be of a similar brand that richard bingley would smoke yeah hondo p uh so that's a 10 plus one that's 11 we got 139 mm. <laughs> a cigar band with the letters galliardi lies nearby Pick a number and add your observation. This one's going to be difficult. This is a 9 to 12 for it's our success. We do true. have a plus one. But I also wonder if since we know... Uh, that's a 7 plus 1. That's an 8. It, it is weird, though, because we do know. We know that what this is trying to say. So I wonder how much we should... I wonder if there's ever a case where we are like... Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, Where one I of us we postulates... Just... The other person checks, and then we get to go there if that person was right. I don't know. Otherwise, we fail. I think that that could be an interesting way, you know? I think I think one of the, the weaknesses of that is if we have to check, then we also know the information if we were wrong. It's true, which is why, the, yeah, yeah, it's tough. Uh, this is what, 217? 217. We don't know the thing we know. Well, I mean, we do we we do know that yeah. those uh, Galati we'll if, cigars were smoked by Bingley. Yeah, we'll see if we can act on it though. Mm -hmm. The shoe prints lead to the center of a clearing where they meet a different set of boot prints, smaller and narrower, with heel distinct from the sole, indicating a higher heel. And thus, the footwear of a girl. A rose, its deep crimson vibrating in the gray light, shines against the dark brown of the mud. The female boot prints. Uh, and the shoe prints face each other in the center of the clearing. The boot prints with the horizontal tread and a W on the heel take a more circuitous route in the clearing, first marking up an area behind a set of trees along the old cart road, then an area behind a set of trees in the clearing. Then they emerge from behind a second set of trees and approach the other prints, the broad shoe prints, and turn and face them. Beside the facing set of the prints, a muddy area shows the imprint of the fall. The shoe prints and the female boot prints go off together into the woods towards town, where the female boot prints came, came from. The boot prints front with the tread return to the old cart road. Check clue E. You try and figure out what it all means, imagining Holmes and his methods. Pick a number and add intuition. Eight plus one, that is a success on 115. Another day later, because Discord. But again, we're here. Mm. We found ourselves on page 115. Uh, I rolled I rolled a good, and we're on page 115. 24 we hours later. We the boot prints well. Yeah, exactly. We, I mean, that's right, because they were the, the boot prints that we we knew what they were in our hearts. Mm -hmm. But also, we did need to roll well to actually, <laughs> for our brains to be like, yes. Okay. Uh, but 115 it is. You reach the following deductions. Whoever made the boot, but I did it too. <laughs> <laughs> it was very generous of you not to mention it when I did it, but then immediately fall into the same trap to demonstrate how easy it is to do so. It's, that's friendship. <laughs> the boot prints A followed whoever made the shoe prints, which I think is where we got footprints no because footprints that's why it's it's wow 
That's interesting. It's one letter off, but it, you pronounce the O's completely differently, and it ruins. Yeah, everything. you should put That's a you should put a butt on a foot. <laughs> uh, the the. The boot prints, A, followed whoever made the shoe prints, B, along the cart road. Okay, I mean, th- these Bs and things are because of the map we have, right? Uh, no, I believe they are oh. uh, effectively standing in for a person's name. Oh, okay, gotcha. All right, okay, then I'll, I'll, I'll read it as such. A, followed whoever made the shoe prints, B, along the cart road, and then B, entered the clearing and sat on the log, waiting for C. A hid behind the trees for a while, as you can tell by the way his boot prints, sorry, boot prints broaden into a Thank wider you. circular area. He waited and watched as the owner of the female boot prints, C, entered the clearing. An ideal spot for a tryst, where she was met by B, and they embraced. From the presence of the rose, you deduce that she was his girlfriend. The seclusion of indicates that they were having a romantic rendezvous. A crept behind the trees to watch. Enraged, he ran into the circle and accosted B, giving the signs of a scuffle, and was hurled into the mud. He returned disconsolate to school. B and C left together for town where C probably lives. Check clue, VV, and turn to 311. Uh-huh. Okay. The, the, the format, well, mm. theoretically helpful has me mind flooded. Yes, I think it would help if we uh, d- took from this what we know. So we know that the the footprints, uh, the the male footprints in particular with the W and the horizontal pattern upon them, we know these belong to Mark Avery. So that means Mark Avery is A. Ah, convenient. And it's only about to get more convenient <gasps> as uh, the shoe prints were made by the person who left the cigar, the Galliardi, which we were not capable of rolling to understand, but we remember in our brain space is Richard Bingley's favorite oh, cigar. That's true. So B for Bingley. Wow. C, we don't know yet. We haven't Carolyn, met. obviously. It's probably Carolyn, yeah. Ca- Carolyn Crunch. She's but the now, daughter but of... Abby B for yeah. all Carolyn's Crunch. Yeah. It's, uh, she... <laughs> She is the uh, the niece of one Captain Crunch. Ah, of course, the the famous admiral of the navy. Yeah, uh huh, uh huh. It's it's a shame what happened to him. He he was crunchitized. That's such, such oh. a shame. That's oh dear. I just... With uh, with or without honors. Oh, without you. <laughs> oh, good <laughs> lord. Captain Crunch has done some some things. <laughs> he is. Uh... Oh my god, you, you're saying that everyone was cereal? He just, he just ate people. That's just it. <laughs> he just ate people. That's it. You know, with a name like Captain Crunch, you can't really be surprised. At some point, yeah. there's nominative determinism. Like, you just elect someone with, like, a Pokemon move for biting yeah. someone as their name, you're gonna end up as a cannibal. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't help that he ran in with the crowd of uh, Captain Warcrime. You know, just really did not paint uh, a good path for him. I you know, I usually don't recommend this, but his parents should have changed their last name. They should have just like <laughs> I know that they wanted to hyphenate it, Miss War and Mister Crime, but yeah. really, I just don't. I, they could have gone Crime War. I'm just saying they could have gone for anything else. Yeah, but you know, Crime War will just make it sound like a like a quote unquote news website or something. It's just 
Anyways. That's true. Let's go to 311 to find Carolyn Crunch. <laughs> what was the name of the uh, the tribe? Oh, did we have the name? Um, I believe it was the Black River Indians. Okay. Wary of the Black River Indians, you walk along the road back to the school. The old trees bend their branches in a somber tunnel over your head. A bird calls, you start and wheel around, frightened to see a quail take off from the underbrush, its wings giving off a distinctive rush as he flies. Although you're safer on the road than in the woods, you could easily be accosted here. For once, you're glad to enter the school's gates and break into a run at the broad drive. Back in your dormitory, you cannot find Mark. In your room, you notice an envelope protruding from the pages of a book on Mark's desk, hoping that it'll tell you something about Mark's whereabouts or the emerald. You dare to open it and read. Uh, uh, that is okay. theoretically well, legible. It is theoretically legible. Let me <laughs> see if I can muddle my way through it. Dear Mark, of course I will always care about you. Please understand, I want you to be happy for me and Richard. I'm sorry if I've caused you pain. Please don't punish your best friend. He loves you too, Becky. This is, must be an unrelated party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a Throw it away. Throw it in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> this is a red herring. Immediately <laughs> discarded. Gone. <laughs> I like the idea of a detective who who picks the, the outcome right away and then burns all the other evidence. Just like, oh my god! I love it. I want to I want to role play as this detective. Yeah, it's like I have decided the outcome, and it doesn't uh, matter. I see here you have a photograph of this man doing the crime. Impossible! It was not them. It was someone else. Crunch, crunch, crunch! I throw this away. <laughs> Chekhov clue H. Mark walks into the room and brushes past you. The note lies on the desk. Pick a number and add your artifice bonus. Ooh, that's a negative two for us. We are not sneaky. That's a no good, as Sonic the Hedgehog would say. Gotta roll above a nine here. That roll is good. Huh? It was exactly a nine. Wait, above a nine? Hey, sorry, no, nine or above is okay. correct. The the artifice is negative two, which we take our nine down to a seven, which is Ooh. the lowest end of the success here. We do it. 233? 233. You slip the note beneath a book on the desk as he throws himself on the bed. You remember how Mark took you home to his parents' estate for the Christmas holidays last year. How he introduced you to the most important boys at the school and nominated you to join the Society of Five. Wait, was it the Society of Five before we joined? And then that's what I'm saying. They have to kill a new member. Yeah. Not, sorry, not a you know kill a new member. We induct <laughs> you, and then also, by the way, we can only have five yeah. at a time. And you're the newbie, newbie. So we're gonna kill you. <laughs> like, why does this keep happening? Why do all our new members keep dying? Well, because we fire no we, clue anyway we gotta find yeah. a new one we keep um, our members based off of seniority it's a problem <laughs> i I'm, I'm going to actually guess that because it's a school uh mm. when one of them graduates out they mm. induct a new one from the new year that's that's, that's my mental headcanon for it well i mean otherwise they called it the society of five and then they just let it balloon beyond that point they didn't change the name yeah and that happens. i just can't understand people who would act like that 
maybe they just society of more you can just change the name it's like yeah what are the get monogrammed uh, handkerchiefs what is it yeah. what is your commitment to this name we already got the tattoos anyways Okay, tattoos are hard to change, I guess. You know what? I'm on board. Society well, of Five. Five to six is not that hard. <laughs> six to seven is a pretty big leap. <laughs> it's got to be a pretty thick, like, baseline for the seven. And You're right. Which is why I pitch we immediately go to eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then nine, we're back to problems. You have to just go to 18. <laughs> yeah, get a skin graft. You gotta go to eighteen, then. and then you could you can turn a one into a messed up two, and you can turn a two into a really messed up three. And I then, think if you just had the eight and then wrote creator on the other axis, uh, creator, sorry, the society of five on the other axis, you would just be able to have society of infinite and immediately skip all of your problems. Well, except for the fact that then you need to induct infinite members, otherwise it doesn't work. So you're going yeah. to need to start creating infinite people. Well, interesting. Well, they could also just not pick a number. <laughs> <laughs> you know? How about it's based off your interests? The rugby society. I... They like rugby. How about that? <laughs> These guys like the number five, then. Yeah. Anyways. We overlooked the obvious answer. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, nominated you to join the Society of Five. <laughs> Mark? You say, your voice quivering. I'm your friend. You you've got to believe me. He takes a stick from the firewood and cleans the mud off his boot, ignoring you. Mark, I didn't take your emeralds. I'm trying to help you. Listen to me. You're in great danger. The Black River Indians who own the jewel, they're coming here to reclaim it. And that's why your father wanted you to return it to him. Here! You take the clipping about Mahoney from your desk drawer and give it to him. Mahoney is the man who sold your father the emerald. Mark reads the clipping and turns pale. Where did you get this? He demands. Never mind that! The Black River Indians who struck at Mahoney also came here to the school. They attacked me with in the woods in the afternoon. Look! You pull the dart from your pocket and Mark gives a violent start. They're hiding in the woods behind the school. We've got to go to the police in the village. No, no police, you hear? Mark insists. This only makes the theft worse. If my father figures out I've lost a jewel, I'm done for. Wouldn't your family understand? Especially because you're in danger, you ask. Mark smiles bitterly. You don't know my father. He stands. And stay well away from this business and out of my affairs! He flings the stick towards the fireplace and leaves. Our evidence! <laughs> a stick! Turned uh, 257. Nah, must have been a red herring. That's He's thrown true. it away for us. <laughs> That's true. Catching your breath, you pause to consider what course of action to take. If you have clue D, 328, do we? Unfortunately, we haven't been clued in. Clued. Get clued. 135. Getting clued is when you do all of the work to solve if it was Miss Peacock with the wrench in the library, mm -hmm. and then you're off by one, and then just the next person in line was able to deduce from that, even though they had nothing, and they're able to it's get, wild. get it right because they have the other guess. It's wild that it gets called clued, despite the fact that it should be called that. It's more evocative, but that's also such a Wheel of Fortune mechanic. That is true. Will of Let me fortune... reveal the most common letter in this. I'm going to solve it then. It's <laughs> okay. true. But the Wheel of Fortune at least has the, the mechanic of uh, 
you know, you got a letter right, you get to go again kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. And then you can make a guess. You can make your guess then. With Clue, it's like you have your one shot and then you're out of the game forever. And also the fact that um, you get down to it and you're like, it almost always comes down to the fact that you have to take a 50-50 on something because someone, like player A has it almost all the way figured out. Player B almost has it all figured out the way out. And then player C is just like, I'm here too. So player A and B are like back and forth. Like, okay, I got to make a 50, 50 guess because player B is going to get it this round. And you guess, mm-hmm. you guess wrong. And player C just wins. It's that's, that's how like 75% of clue games go. <laughs> Which is why the good strategy of course is to play, play a three player game and know nothing. The less, you know, the less ammunition you give your enemies. <laughs> my favorite, the best way you want to win clue every time when someone asks if you have something just lie <laughs> no i don't have colonel mustard stuffs him down your trousers <laughs> no never heard of the guy actually. no <laughs> interesting i thought you had cars in your hand uh where'd they all go uh no uh new rules new rules i don't have any cars <laughs> anyways i'm playing as the bank <laughs> i'm the banker in clue okay all right was it oh god was it 135 or what it was 135 that evening at dinner master muller announces that richard bingley's cufflinks wait what watch Mm -hmm. and tie clasp have been stolen he asks the thief to step forward immediately but no one stirs check clue f as punishment dessert is not served later that wait hmm. cufflinks watch and tie clasp Yes. Later that night, you're supposed to be studying. You contemplate Oxy as the possible thief. Straddled, Oxy straddled Mark on the playing field as Mark lay unconscious, and with his strength, he could have ripped the chain from him. In many ways, Oxy seemed the most likely suspect. Both he and Muskrat are failing several subjects and must attend a compulsory evening study session <laughs> at Perkins Hall. The room is now empty. They're failing several subjects and must attend a compulsory. Interesting. Okay. If you search Oxy's room, turn to 122, otherwise 204. <laughs> yes, I would like to snoop in the detective novel. Oh, have some class. I refuse. Okay, then let's snoop. You knock on the door and hearing no reply and having no class, you slip into Oxy's room. You check his desk and suitcases, but find nothing of interest. Then hidden under the nightshirts in his top bureau drawer is a box which shimmers when you open it. A trove of jewels, marbles, polished stone, shells, and even a chunk of mica rest inside the box. Check off clue www. Dot. You try to tell if the jewels are real. Pick a number and add your scholarship bonus. <gasps> Ooh, that is our other negative two. You'd need to roll a got 10 an, or above. I got an 8, which is what mm. we need if we had literally plus 0, minus 0. It, 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 we do not make the roll. Mm. Curse me, no book learn. So turn to 136. I mean, they look like jewels to me. You study the jewels. They seem like jewels. You can't determine the value. 236. You search the box for the Black River Emerald, but can't find it. The collection of childish items like marbles and a chunk of mica underlines Oxy's fascination with jewels. Beside the box, you find a book entitled... The Famous Gems of the World. I guess that, yeah. On page 54, you find a picture of the Black River Emerald, the picture circled in red ink. Check clue LL. Suddenly, I mean, that seems suspicious. 
<laughs> Suddenly, it does. It's 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 that stinking detective game thing where you're like, it seems suspicious, too suspicious. <laughs> Mm-hmm. This and is this so... written in the margins here, I plan to steal this from Mark Avery? Mm, too suspicious for me. Probably. Clear and free. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy this man a one-way ticket elsewhere in the world. Yeah. He's a red herring. Basically, yeah. I discard this man. I see this and I'm like, it wasn't Oxy then. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not a good Actually, thing. Actually, I I recently played a detective game, which I will not mention because it it will spoil it in the way of saying uh, the entire time I was like, it's not this person. It's so obvious that it's this person. It's not this person. It was absolutely that person the whole time for all of the reasons that it was. And I was just ignoring them. I was that detective. It's true. It happens. Let's do it here. (sighs) Well, it's probably Oxy, right? Yeah. Suddenly the door creaks open. Big as a bear. Oxy stands grinning malevolently at you. Well, well, what have we here, a thief? He says. Muskrat, like a parasitic fish around a shark, comes up beside him. A boy going through my bureau. Oxy says, slowly approaching you, his hand curling into a fist. Oh, a filthy foreigner and a thief too. Too bad he hadn't heard they cut short evening study to save the lamp gas. As Muskrat squeals with delight, Oxy's fist flashes and your chest goes cold with pain. Rat, I think we shall have some fun. Oxy lunges towards you. The shirts on the dresser fly as you're thrown backwards onto the bed. Oh, bet he wishes he never left his own country. I'll wager he wants his old mum now. Muskrat squeals. At her mention, you see your mother waving and smiling at you as you left for the school, and despite the imminent blow from Oxy's fist, a sudden homesickness overwhelms you. Oxy brings you back to the present with a sharp rap to your shoulder. Pick a number and add your athletics. Mm, You don't get the cub stomp, the cub stomper. I mean, the thing is, we do only have a plus three. You could still roll bad, and we could still... What happened? I got an eight which you know means that our plus three does matter it also means a plus one would have mattered so still aren't we looking for the time in which rolling uh, having like neutral stats would have um not paid Mm. off uh Mm. but that time is not now (laughs) hey we have the ability in the next episode to uh, change i think we might be maybe we could still be johnny curb stomp but he's subdued and he you know decided to (laughs) chill out a little bit if he's gonna now he up... curb stomps with his brain rather than exactly. his Exactly. But, uh, yeah, we succeed. We needed a 9 or higher, but we did get it. So 372. Mm, which is a tough check, so I'm hoping this to be a useful success. You kill him. Oh! You push the charging oxy back with your legs. He crashes against the dresser with a curse. You elbow Muskrat and run to the hall down the stairs. Back in your room, you lock the door and catch your breath, thinking, if Oxy took the Black River Emerald, where is it? You fall asleep, reading Shakespeare's Othello, 204. That, that's that's our success? What's the failure? We die? Yeah, exactly. I think the failure <laughs> is we get, like, you're pinned down for a period of time and beaten upon. Money stolen, etc. Yeah, the money is actually maybe... Anyway. The next day, after morning morning classes and lunch, Muskrat's father shows up at the school, and Mr. Rafferty looks like his son, save that he is 30 years older and a bit meaner. 
Whiskers bristle from his chin. His furtive eyes seem to glance about for predators who might pounce on him from behind hedges and posts. He's well-dressed, but his brilliant necktie, shining pin, and glittering rings are flamboyant to the point of gaudiness. He is accompanied by a large, swarthy fellow and with a formidable dark mustache, whom he introduces as... My associate, Mr. Lomax. Mr. Rafferty closets himself with his son in Muskrat's room. You amble past the door, hoping to eavesdrop, but the lumbering Lomax glares at you. That's just a... That's just a cryptid. You can't... Mm-hmm. Convince me otherwise. Glares at you from beneath his black brows. You go to your room, wondering how you could somehow overhear their conversation. From somewhere you hear laughter. It must be Langford and McSwain, the two students who live below you. You again hear their mocking laughter from the room below, as you do regularly every night before sleep, when they find a target for their jibes among other students. Laughter ascends and falls like an arcipegio. Wait, arpeggio. Arcipe- Archipegolo. <laughs> <laughs> arpeggio. Pick a number and add your intuition. Hmm. Oh no, snake eyes. We got a six, which which is enough. Oh, we have a plus Wait, one in intuition, yeah. Which is enough. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it. I thought that it was an eight check. Okay, so seven to twelve. Yeah, we only needed a seven, so it's three forty-four. Man, it's it's really nice when you just have a plus one to something. Wow. Yeah, no kidding. It, I, it does it does actually kind of boggle the mind the fact that our plus three to athletics has never changed a result, but our negative two to scholarship and artifice have changed so many. many. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it you know hey we'll see. We'll we'll see what it's like to be a normal man. You get a flash of insight, the case of the speckled ban. You get on your knees and discover the grate beneath your bed goes to the room below. If you can find the room above or below Rafferty's, you can eavesdrop on them, since Rafferty's room is on the top floor near yours, so you must find the room below his. You walk down the hall, counting the rooms from his to the main stairway, and then downstairs, you count... The rooms and come to the door of room 215. Pick a number and add your communication bonus. Also I got a, a plus one. Seven plus one. We get a successful check. Needed a seven. Hell yeah. Got an eight. We are getting lots of successes for what it's worth. Downstairs, you carefully count the rooms and come to the door of 215. You knock on the door and hear a high whine, and entering, you find a boy crying, Higby Ross from the fourth form. What's the matter? You ask, moving below the grate in the ceiling, over by the corner. Someone stole my music box! He whimpers, tears stream down his cheeks. You succeed, to some extent, in deciphering the voices from beyond the grate as the boy hushes. I'm afraid you can't come to Brighton, old man Rafferty says. He must mean... you must mean Brighton. Weird. Oh, oh, because he said... Because he said bite, biten. Yeah, I accidentally auto-corrected what yeah. he said in my head already. Yeah, he must mean Brighton. Interesting. Why not, Muskrat whines. Higby Ross cries again, covering the old man's replies. You try to console him. Well, you'll maybe find it tomorrow? Just hush. The old man's voice comes down from the grate. He's not safe. You can visit your mother in Shropshire. I hate Shropshire! I wanted to come with you! It's not safe, do you understand? He says something you can't make out, and... Put you and I in danger! Now, that's that! Check clue I. Higby Ross lets out a wail. <laughs> Without my 
my box. I can't get to sleep. And if I can't get to sleep, I can't ever study. And I'll never get out of here. Dad'll never let me come home. He drowns out the upstairs noises. Why can't you sleep? You ask, perturbed. <laughs> it sounds stupid. You'll laugh. The boy whimpers. I promise I won't laugh. That's the only way I could get to sleep, by playing the box. We used to play the blocks at home. I hate it here. I'm never getting home. We all hate it here. You say to console him and return to your room. 216. I Put wonder... you and I in danger. This is obviously trying to implicate Raphael T and Moskrat. It's true. This feels like one of those moments where we come down here to listen to something else, but then I think, like, the secret... The information that is more pertinent is the fact that the music box was stolen. Yes. That's what it feels like to me. It's like, uh, sh sh shut up while I well, you're, even though you're telling me something that you don't realize is more relevant to the plot. This feels like a perfect place where they usually hide stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There's lots of little... That's 100% correct. Very a, astute. A lot of little knickknacks being stolen. Like, on top of the fact that the gem's being stolen. Exactly. We see so, this box, obviously the cufflinks as well, prior the clasps. Yeah, so it feels less like a targeted thing in that way. But I, Oh, is it going to be a bird? Oh my god. That'd be fun. <laughs> I would love that. Uh, later, from your window, you see Mr. Rafferty enter the administration building. Shortly thereafter, the curtains to Mr. Muller's office windows close. If you want to spy on them, pick a number and add your athletics. <laughs> I'm already rolling. And we, we roll a 13 is what we get. So, like, again. All right. So that takes us to the otherwise section because there's no 13. Uh, <laughs> 301. 7 to 12, so 301. Yes. Yeah, we need a critical success. You run to the administration building, lifting yourself onto the window ledge, and you peer through a crack in the curtains. Mr. Rafferty hands Muller an envelope. Muller takes the envelope and turns to open the safe behind his desk. Pick a number and add your observation. Still a plus Ooh, one for us. That's a nine on the dot. That's perfect. That's uh, 310. Okay. <gasps> eight, eight, yeah, eight plus one. You note the numbers as Muller turns the knob of the safe. 38 right. Wow, from here? Wow. 38 right, six left, 45 right. He must have one of those, like, <laughs> just, you know, like, Im visually impaired, like how you have, like, the very large numbers on stuff, like those very large calculators. Yep. <laughs> Imagine just thinking of a, of a safe or, like, a pin. <laughs> I, was, I got the vision, I think... the vision of, like, a credit card pin pad, but it's jumbo size so that everyone can see you entering in the numbers. It's it's okay. You don't have to use that pin pad. If you want to have a little bit more security and privacy, you can instead use the lock system. We have a wheel lock here. Uh, it is the size of the prices right rotating ball. <laughs> uh, and you just have to set it on that, back and forth. And if you wouldn't like to use either of those, you can use our voice-activated system <laughs> mm -hmm. in public. <laughs> Now, we, of course, do have a built-in studio audience, and they are going to shout along with any of the numbers they identify. Uh, feel free to ignore that. It's not really relevant. That's more for broadcast. Yeah. 
Look, look at the audience, like, make it look like you're thinking, point a couple of times, mouth a couple numbers, and then just go back and put in the number you're going to put anyways. Price is right. Anyways, 296. Oh, check off clue HH. 296. The headmaster takes out a bottle of cognac from the safe, locks the safe, and pours two glasses. Muller and Mr. Rafferty raise their glasses and drink a solemn toast. Check clue J. Suddenly... Out of nowhere, a hand grabs you by the scruff of the neck and pulls you up from the window ledge. You kick and you struggle. The bullish Mr. Lomax glares at you and glares... Wait, glares at you? Mm -hmm. You see this too, right? Am I crazy? He glares at you, glares at you beneath his brows. <laughs> yeah. He's doing a lot yeah. of glaring. The bullish Mr. Lomax glares at you, glares at you beneath his black brows. It's like a song, like a children's song. It, it, look, it's by repetition, it is just enforcing how much he's glaring at you. It's this one is like for each other. technique. Exactly. Caught a fish, have we? And I'll be wagering Mr. Rafferty will take an interest in you. You're not fooling with the wrong type, boy. You best tell him that when I get away. You taunt him. So you'd best not tell him when I get away, rather, sorry. Rafferty wouldn't take kindly to your incompetence. The bludger laughs, his black brows shining, his black brows <laughs> shining. <laughs> Thanks for the suggestion, mate. But you ain't gonna get away. Picking up over all your artifice. Oh. Wouldn't you know it? It's a nine minus two, which gives us a perfect failure. Mm, perfect. The high end of the low tier. Let's go to 242 for our failure text. You bring your heel down hard on, oh, it's been a while, on Lomax's toe. He lets out a groan and you struggle in his grasp. You kick him in the shins as he hurls you roughly to the ground. Lomax hobbles towards you and you run, your arm aching, down the drive to the main gate. The oaf limps after you for a while, then gives up and turns back to Perkins Hall. Turn to 229. That was the failure? We got away? I mean, again, I feel like a... Were we going to knock do? a clue out of his pocket if we succeeded? <laughs> you punch him in the stomach and he goes, and then, you know, Excalibur comes out. I did the crime. Something. I did it. Oh, right. It was me. I took it because I like it. <laughs> the end. I knew it. I took it because I like it. That's the crime. 229, was it? Yes. You decide to write a letter to Mr. Holmes telling him what you discovered so far. If you go to the telegraph office, 103, otherwise 214. <laughs> the reason to not would be if we like didn't have money i would imagine because like it's gonna I, yes. it's gonna ask but we can just go there to find out oh that that might it legitimately might be that our money would have all been stolen had we lost in any of the instances against uh, ox yar you make what your way warily into town the road leads to the woods but the birds call birds calls you what bird calls you here sounds soothing and genuine you experience relief when you reach main street after posting the letter to Holmes, you're handed a cable and a letter by the postmaster the cable reading muskrat father prime criminal stop may well have hand in rock business stop <laughs> check post again tomorrow stop best homes stop i love stop you know why did we stop that because someone said stop is that why? You know what? That is canon now. Like, the fact that we can't say sentences like, may well have hand-to-hand -hand in rock business stop, is frankly the real crime here. 
we we are uh, missing out on it, but we do need to know that we could go back to this at any time. We could get a bunch of walkie-talkies and ham radios, we could link them all up, and we could go back to the OVA network, which as far as I'm concerned, is just the descendant of the stop. Why not may well have had hand in rock business start, you know? Mm, why, why not? Why use many word when few yeah. word do trick? Why not how muskrat father prime criminal? Uh, anyways, check clue K. <laughs> the type letter with no return address reads. Oh dear. From somebody. To a very smart boy. Stay away as you've been told. The cat too was curious. Mind your manners by minding your business and you may become a gentleman. As you walk down the post office steps, you notice a Clarence four-wheel carriage. Drive past with old man Rafferty and come to a stop at the intersection. This has a whole lot of that, like, you happen to see someone very relevant to your case walking down the street vibes. Mm-hmm. A lot. <laughs> Which I'm fine with because it's better than what, you know, the realistic thing of, like, you have to go find them. Just You spend 10 hours running to try and find it. Yeah, but still. It is interesting. I just, an interesting note. Thankfully, Hol they're all out and about doing crimes constantly. It's true. Holmes's telegram crackles in your pocket. You try and grab, if you try and grab on the back of Rafferty's Clarence, 137, otherwise 250. So, I mean, Rafferty is Muskrat's dad. True. So, it seems appropriate that we might want to either strike this red herring off or pursue it to its end until we figure out it's actually a dyed salmon. Do you think, and you want to skip it? <laughs> yeah, it's probably not worth it. All right. Um, I, yeah. 137. Uh, all right. <laughs> Part of me wants to, like, intentionally skip one, though, at some point. You run up to the carriage. Okay, until I see this. Uh, pick a number and add your athletics bonus. And we roll an eight plus three for a Ooh. check of eight that we needed. So we got and an 11. our plus three has still never changed the day. I'm, I'm counting down the days. 267. I will say I love that this one is at least checking our athletics. So that's good. You grab the rail running around the top of the carriage. Where the luggage rests. And settle onto the axle below just as the carriage takes off. The carriage speeds and rattles to the station. You jump off the carriage as it slows down, losing yourself among the crowd at the station. You stand by the ticket office and watch Rafferty buying tickets for London. If you take the train to London, turn to 190, otherwise 104. This does feel like it would exempt us from other possibilities if we were yeah. too busy to be here. Now, this one does feel bad, yeah. This one actually legitimately seems like it could cause a problem. What do you think about? I'm down to skip it. I don't think it's him. It feels too obvious. Let's do it. 104. It's probably not relevant. I mean, do we have to really, like, what, we're going to London? Anyway. Yeah, the, exactly. Yeah. The brief walk back to Belton Village clears your head, turn to 250. Which is where we would have gone had we not gone for the uh, Clarence. Gotcha. Walking down Main Street, you meet, meet Richard Bingley on the street. Are you going back up to school? I'll walk with you. You suggest. I've, I have a few errands to do. He says, trying to rush ahead of you. You think of the dart in the forest and the vines that bound you. But it's dangerous in the woods, even on the road. Dangerous. He scoffs. Well, whatever do you mean? There are the Black River Indians in the forest? You blurt out. They've come for their emerald. Oh, don't be silly. You don't believe in that nonsense, do you? Really, Rogers? I thought you were one of the bright ones here. 
They shot at me with darts? Oh, have you got off your bean, old chap? Oh, I say, you're having a laugh. Bingley concludes, smiling. Well, I must be off. These errands will take time. I have some shopping to do and some other odd bits as well. I don't mind. I'd like to come with you. I'd rather walk alone. Bingley's face bursts into a fury suddenly, and then he smiles. No, sorry. I just have this aching need, old boy, to be by my lonesome. You understand? I'll see you at dinner, eh? And he hurries off down the street. You, something about his manner bothers you, and you follow Bingley at a distance. He turns the corner into another street. Pick a number and add your artifice. Uh, which... We got an 8, minus 2 gives us a 6. We needed a, only a 5, so... Mmm, yeah, this is, this is a, a hard check to lose. 198. You turn the corner, notice Bingley entering a shop. He buys a ribbon and a decorated box, and leaving the shop, he walks down the sides, side streets of the town at a dizzying clip. If you follow him, 200, otherwise 223. We absolutely follow him. This is an athletics check for chasing him, and we are... All ready for those. At the White House at 116 Elm Street, Bingley stops and gazes in the window. First, he studies the house at the surrounding neighborhood and gives a low whistle. Suddenly, he walks around the house to a garden enclosed by a tall fence. You go behind the next house and creep up to the fence. Trees border the fence, and you move along away from the house and climb a tree to get a good look. As you reach a sturdy branch, a very pretty girl of 16 or 17 comes into the garden from the house. Black hair, dark eyes heighten the pale cream of her skin. Behind the garden, the woods take over. The girl looks about nervously, then runs up to Bingley. My parents will come home at four, she says softly. Tomorrow with the clearing, we'll have more time. Uh, let's say three o'clock, lest we forget. Fine, Richard. You recognize her as Becky Connolly, the daughter of the local mill worker, Crunch Connolly. A town beauty whom you once met with Mark at a restaurant in the village. Bingley gathers her in her his arms and they kiss. Their voices have a softness to them that startles you, something you haven't heard at the school. Bingley takes out the jewel box and gives it to her. Becky takes from the box a ring and exclaims delight. They move to a stone bench further away. Pick a number and add your observation, which is a 10 plus 1. We needed a 6. Then 11. Through their, though their voices are low, you can hear them. Oh, Richard, how could you afford this? I thought your father didn't approve. Coos Becky delighted. I sold some things that I didn't need. Richard, I don't need all these presents. She embraces him again. I have you. I like giving pretty things to you. As they embrace, you notice a pendant with a stone hanging from a chain around her neck. Check off clue N. You creep forward on the branch and see to see and hear better. Pick a number and add your artifice bonus. <gasps> requiring a check of 11 or better. Which means we can't succeed. We would have to roll a natural 13. I rolled a 3. <laughs> so we mm, did you roll 10 more? <laughs> so we get a 1. <laughs> we get a 1. Hey, if we're going to fail, let's fail hard, I guess. Um, no kidding. Jeez, 141. A sharp cracking sound comes from behind you. The branch is breaking. Quick, pick a number and add your athletics. Now, here we go. I got a, I got a 12. <laughs> I rolled a 12. So that's a 15 check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 220. 
The branch cracks as you shimmy back towards the tree trunk. Prepared for the fall, you drop to the ground and land on your feet like a cat. You notice a figure, Bingley's, racing behind the fence and run towards the woods. As you reach the woods, Bingley opens the gate, and you hide behind a tree. Pick a number and add your artifice, only needing a 5. We get a 7 minus 2, which is enough. 145. Bingley comes towards you. Wait, what? I thought we were stealthy. Uh, he might not be actually, he may not have actually seen us. Oh, you're right. I see. I could have read the next line. Bingley comes towards you and stands hands on his hips, looking for you <laughs> and finding you. <laughs> Becky calls him back from the gate, perhaps loath to waste their time together. He turns and joins her at the garden. Relieved, you hobble off through the woods and back to school on 223. No one's taking out lunch money. No, 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 no. When you get back to your room, you find it ransacked. Bed sheets lie heaped in the corner. Drawers are open and sifted through. Mark's trunk is turned on its side, the contents spilling from its mouth like a fruit from a horn of, of plenty. His expensive shirts lie strewn about the room. Suddenly, Mark enters and looks wildly about. Mark! They want the jewel! You're in danger! You cry. Go to the constable in the village! Don't meddle in my affairs! replies Mark, fuming. If, if you haven't already... Mark, I'm your friend! If I had the jewel, don't you think I would have given it to you? If I weren't your friend, would I have gone to Sherlock Holmes? Sherlock Holmes, the detective. You show him the letter from Holmes, and then he reads it and crumples it in his hand. Throws it in the fire. Uh, <laughs> no, he does not. But... This is a red herring! Even Holmes <laughs> can't help me now! I must find who took the emerald! He cries wildly. And if it wasn't you who took the emerald, then how did... Whoever it was, discover the false bottom to the trunk. Anyone uh. could have sneaked in here when we were gone. Huh. Oh, Rito, you have an idea. What is your idea? I want to hear it. You mentioned <laughs> something about who was it that you thought was a, a part-time magician? <laughs> I know it was a joke. Oh, boy. It it was a joke, but it was based on something that actually yes. happened. Oh, oh, let me let me deep deep dive was into the, my uh, mind palace uh, for information from yesterday. I, it, Muller is the person who I think it is. Um, oh yes, and uh, it, it was something to do with, with uh, distraction on the field, hypnotism fields. and yes. distraction and misdirection. Yes, as he was yes. rotating his hand wildly around his head uh, you know while Mark Avery was on the floor. You know what profession? is very familiar with things that have false bottoms. The magician. Magician. Sorry. Oh, I, sh I was Sorry, no, I don't. What? <laughs> I didn't really set up the reveal. Wait for it. Magicians. What? <laughs> wow. Honestly, I think it's a good guess right now. But... Legitimately, that, that seems like a strong one. <laughs> but we'll see. Maybe we're, <laughs> maybe we're getting too ahead of ourselves. Uh, anyone could have sneaked in here when we were gone you deduce look how many things have been stolen recently maybe they discovered the trunk's bottom while they were looking for something else to steal and sell when they found the lockbox all they really needed to do was get the key from you oh, i'm lost let me help you mark you plead i am your best friend trust me until the emeralds found i can't trust anyone avery casts wildly about his features haggard and leaves you gloomily clean up the room and go to dinner. At the table behind you, you notice Oxy whispering to Muskrat. Pick a number and add your observation bonus. I got a 12 plus 1. That's a 13. Unfortunately, we don't get to go to any of the pages then because we need a 7 to 12. Sick obs. 192. 
The overhear Oxy gruffly whispered to Muskrat. Uh, the pillars. Uh, eight. At 15 minutes to eight, you walk to the pillars, a set of columns behind the administration building, and hide behind a pillar. From the shadows, Oxy and Muskrat appear, turn to 116. You overhear Oxy threaten Muskrat about losing the money that Muskrat owes him from gambling and losing. I'll collect somehow. Muskrat Rafferty whines. I'll, I'll get the money for before the holidays. For your sake, friend, you'd better. Oxy snaps. But where will you get it? I have a certain item of value I'm negotiating the sale of. Rafferty mysteriously replies. Oxfield says that if Muskrat doesn't get the money, he will take the item itself, plus collect the interest in pain. He gives Rafferty until Christmas holiday break. The boys part as Oxy shoves Muskrat away. away. Check off Clue-O. Clue-O. And turn to 290. Clue. Clue. Clue-O. That's like a series of uh, vowels that you would see in French and be like, how do you pronounce that? And it's like X. Yeah. <laughs> you pause to consider your options as limited as they are. If you steal into Headmaster Muller's <laughs> office after the light's out, 161, 174, otherwise, I'm already there. Absolutely. This, I want to see this man's uh, the oh, false no. bottom to his magician hat. I want to show me his false bottom. Uh... The night out, after lights out, you sneak out over to Master Muller's office and attempt to unlock the door with your knife. Take an upper head, your artifact. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Hmm. That's a 10 minus 2. We're, got, we're, we're good. That's an 8. Let's That'll go. That'll do it. That'll do it. 168. Oh, good lord of information. <laughs> oh, boy. Would you like some... Would you like some read? Absolutely. <laughs> With a loud click, the lock gives you another, gives, and you enter Muller's office like a criminal. Oh, I mean, hey, Mr. Holmes is going to come and find us. And search around. The headmaster's desk lamp is conveniently lighted. Behind the painting on the wall, you find a safe. Searching in the desk drawers, you find several letters. The top letter, typed, reads, Dear sir, we are very honored and privileged to provide your school books with text, your school with textbooks for these last eight years. We sincerely hope that we may provide these materials in the future. We are pleased to extend credit to such a worthy institution. However, as we have received no payment for the last six months, as the debt is beyond our means to continue to extend, we must hereby cut off all credit and call for the payment of the outstanding balance. We trust you in your good faith. Sincerely yours, Messieurs Pomoy and Ross, Savoy Publications Limited. Check Clue the other letters from suppliers of coal, food, etc. have an angrier tone. You estimate that roughly the school's debt to be over 5,000 pounds. Then you come upon a series of letters from the Northern Bank of Edinburgh. Dear Sir, as we have indicated to you at the time, land investments in the Western United States are an extremely speculative form of investment. Different claims from various states, treaties with Indian tribes, conflicting claims of settlers, as well as a variety of other factors such as changing laws regarding taxation of land holdings, railway routes, etc., make this particular form of investment extremely speculatively highly volatile. Fortunes have been made and lost in these matters. Unfortunately, your investments in the Montana Land Corporation have been of the latter sort. The Montana Land Corporation has since declared bankruptcy, returning only one-tenth, that is, one-tenth, of the investment value to investors. We hereby enclose a check for 80 pounds. 
If we may be of service to you in the future, please feel free to contact us. Yours, Harold Montague. Harold Montague, Agent North, Bank of Edinburgh. Other letters reveal a series of investment losses over eight years, totaling roughly £4,346. Check clue P. Suddenly you hear a noise from outside the office and dim the lamp. Footsteps come to the door. Pick a number and add your artifice once again. Bye, gum. Ooh, this is a gradiated result. There's yeah. a worst case and a best case here. And I'm thankful for it because we get a five. So there's a two to four is the worst result. Five to eight is the middle result, of which we are on the very bottom of. And then nine to 12 for the best result. So mid result. Mm. So it's a seven with a negative two gets us to the low end of the mid. 298. Could have been worse. You notice a closet door in the corner and creep towards it. The handle of the office door turns and the door creaks open, realizing that you cannot reach the safety of the closet in time. You throw yourself beneath the huge desk. Another light goes on in the office and you hear Muller moving about, muttering to himself. Sitting at the desk, feet his feet beside you, his left shoe near your right hand, the pounding of the typewriter above you sounds like horseshoes on a bridge. You try and stifle your fear. Muller mutters to himself, then pulls the sheet from the typewriter and takes another. You hear the scratching of his quill pen on the paper and the blotting of paper being used. You hear him say, Abra, Cadabra. His shoes move away as Muller stands. Footsteps make their way through the office door and recede down the hall. If you leave the office 121 or pick a number and add intuition. Do you want to chance it? I want to chance it. Yeah, I mean, what? 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 He's going to catch us and then engage us in a physical brawl? Doesn't he know our name? Yeah. First die is a six, so with a plus one, we're already at seven. <gasps> and then a four. We're good. That'll do it, 207. That's 207. You light a lamp oh. on low and find the blotting paper on the desk. The blotting paper has these marks on it. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, pick a number and add your scholarship bonus. There's a very not intelligible. I, I can give you, like, my best interpretation of it. I mean, first roll is a six. We got a minus two, so we're at a four. Uh, okay. And then three. That's a no. Okay, so we fail. So this text, as far as I can possibly tell from the blotting paper, might say, John, I trust you with I something, something, something help you. Uh, you something, something. <laughs> Something, I will, something, 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 something diamond. Well, words diamond there. It's it's written backwards. Yeah. Uh, do not something, something promise, something, something, and then presumably a name. Um, I mean, my man sounds pretty guilty. I mean, turn to 330. He's got a lot of reason to want to make funds so does the kid though i mean anyways you approach the safe if you have check clue hh turn to 228 we do right that's the we have checked clue hh that is 38 right six left 45 right you turn the knob and the tumblers click the metal door to the headmaster's safe opens and inside you find you find Mark's open strong box and the key with no emerald. Check clue R and turn to 121. Oh. That's pretty bad, Mr. Muller. 121. 
You leave the office, return to your room, and slip it into bed, praying for a peaceful, swift conclusion to the mystery. Turn to 206. In your room, your weary eyes begin to close. How much more of this can I take, you wonder? If you've checked clue N, but not NN, turn to 174. So we have not checked NN, but we have checked clue N, and that is that Becky Connolly was given a pendant by Richard Bingley. Oh, but not NN, which is probably, oh, interesting. To 174, I guess, because that is true then. Mm-hmm. My guess is NN is like what we would have gotten if we were able to get closer. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. Which would probably either be, it's not it. Yeah, or, that it's not the Black River Emeralds. Yeah, but we'll see. That night you have a dream. You're climbing a tree into the forest. The tree is choked with vines. As you climb, the vines seem to wrap around you and bind you. Struggling, you reach a high branch. It wasn't It wasn't 11 check. Maybe it could have been. It, who knows? Anyways. Uh, struggling, you reach a high branch below you, Becky Connolly. Even more beautiful than before, climbs towards you, reaching out. The touch of her skin on yours sends a thrill over you like a drop of oil spreading over water. The Black River Emerald dangle, dangles from a chain around her neck. As she climbs onto the branch with you, it bends and breaks beneath you. Becky, you tumble towards the ground and awaken in a cold sweat, turn to 292. After a tedious morning of mathematics, Latin, and the classics, and no word from Holmes, you go to lunch. As you sit there, there's a sudden scream from the kitchen. Miss McLaren, the cook, runs from the kitchen, shaking. A devil! A painted devil! She screams. Whatever can that mean, Mrs. McLaren? Mr. Quigley, the Latin teacher, asks. Why, sir? She says her Scottish... You would know this. Bro. Bro, thickening. Tis a devil, as naked as the day. Only MacDonald come and gone mad, come to revenge his clan. He's gone strangest, feather tart and panted like all fierce-like. The poor woman faints. Then you and Mr. Quigley run to the kitchen. You find only an open window and a jar of meal missing from the pantry shelf. The overbearing muskrat then regales you with his selection for the upcoming talent show. A little bit of heaven known as Mama. He's greeted with a round of sarcastic applause, which fades as Sir Richard Bingley enters and walks through the dining room from his spats to his gold-rimmed spectacles. His dress is orthodox and elegant to the last degree. Yet his face is drawn and haggard, his cheeks lined and pinched towards his aristocratic Roman nose. Sir Richard approaches your table, summons his son, and they leave the room together. If you follow them, 152, otherwise 285. So that was clearly uh, one of the members of the Black River Indians who'd uh, broken in here and scared Zikuk in search. That's definitely the implication. I mean, do we want to follow them? What if we want to be in this room? I, I mean, hey, if you, if you're, if any of these, you have a vibe where you're like, no, I'm down for it. I do wonder. I still don't know if there's ever any penalties for doing stuff. Like I, I don't I, know either. But I, I, I strongly feel like we shouldn't follow them here. Okay, if you strongly feel that way, then let's go to 285. Because I, I feel fine with it. After lunch, you have an hour until geometry class. If you've checked clue triple A. Turn to 117, 77. We have that, right? We have indeed. Triple uh, A is the cave that we saw uh, Muskrat go into. What next, you wonder? If you want to search the cave you saw Muskrat heading towards yesterday, turn to 263, otherwise 142. Obviously, let's I'm, go there. 263, I mean, thank you. Yeah. 
You set out at a brisk pace to find the caves that Muskrat was heading towards through the woods. Scanning the trees for the Black Rock Indians frightened you race through the woods towards the cliffs. As you reach the rugged area, you search for the landmark that you had noted. If it was five large boulders in a pile, 215. If it was a waterfall, 150. If it was a red rock face, 331. Uh-oh. What? Sorry, what page are we on? 263. 263. That's annoying. So I marked that clue, but I didn't I didn't write down the specific formation of rocks here. Well, if it was if it was rocks, then it's 215. Well, whatever the landmark happens to be, I oh. mean. Rocks or waterfall, I don't, I don't recall perfectly, unfortunately. Uh, good. My heart feels like it was waterfall. I don't remember red rock face. Do you? I don't either, and I also don't remember five large boulders in a pile. Waterfall is also the one that sticks out to me, for what it's worth. I'm, I'm happy to roll a, a solid sixty-three on, <laughs> on waterfall. That's about as confident as I am. One fifty. However pleasant, the waterfall leads you nowhere. Oh. As you walk back towards the school, you come to a seldom-used path leading away from campus. Pick a number and add your intuition. Blessed day. That's a 9 plus 1, giving us the 10 that we needed. 175. Oh, thank God. The path cuts through the tall mm -hmm. ferns and shrubs, ending near a boulder and the partially hidden mouth of a cave. Turn to 281. Climbing the path... You discover and enter the cave. The darkness blinds you. Slowly, you can make out a gleam at your feet. Silverware. You pick up a fork. The silverware belongs to Belton School and is a fine old set. Knives, forks, spoons, a serving platter, teapot, and more. Beyond them lie watches, including Maloney's silver watch, reported stolen earlier in the year. The walrus's grandfather's watch and chain, stolen the spring before. Beyond them, deeper inside the shallow cave, lies other objects reported stolen over the last three years. Tie clips. Cufflinks, a pile of silk shirts, five overcoats, three sets of luggage. So it was Muskrat who stole the boy's property over the last three years, you conclude? Check off clue T. You wonder why Muskrat hasn't sold the goods after stealing them. Perhaps he was going to save them and sell them when he left the school. Using the funds as his entry to a professional career, perhaps he's a different kind of rat. A pack rat. A lesser dragon hoarding in his lair. You wonder how many students sacrificed their weekends, sat through hours of lectures at the chapel, and had to suffer again at the hands of their parents for having lost the items because of Muskrat's curious habit. And how does he plan to get the treasure away from school, you wonder, especially with Headmaster Muller's order that all luggage of leaving students must be searched? Because of the theft of the emerald. You search the area for the jewel, pick a number and add observation. Still a plus one. Still a plus one. I said. That's an eight. That's an eight. We needed a nine. 276. No. It's one of those heartbreaking pages. Unable to locate the emerald, you just go back home to school. 353. I mean, for what it's worth, I think the other one would not have been uh, that they uh, locate the emerald as much as it would have been something like, instead of finding the emerald, you find this clue. It's true. As you're walking through the woods, you hear bird cries. You pick up speed, but the bird cries keep pace with you. A dart hits the tree just ahead. You shift to your left, and the dart strikes the tree to your left. The bird cries intensify. Running, you catch your foot on the ground and stumble forward, the leaves crackling beside you as you slide along the forest floor. Suddenly, two small dark figures appear between the trees. Birds call sound behind you. And when you wheel around, the figures have gone. As you stand, you hear bird cries further off in the forest as if calling you. If you follow the call, it's 187, otherwise 181. Uh. Hmm. They're shooting darts at us. 
why we want to go that way yeah that's what i'm trying to why what is the interpretation that would want us to go towards the bird calls that we don't know that the bird calls what the bird calls mean yet i guess unless i don't know it's curious i'm almost curious enough to try it i mean okay i what are they gonna do kill us yeah (laughs) all right 187 you race after the bird cries for some reason and catch up to them then a dart strikes at the tree in front of you pick a number and add your artifice why even bother i get a seven minus two that's a five so that's a failure we needed a nine with a minus two Mm. And even with a plus one, we wouldn't have gotten it anyway. So, 254. From out of nowhere and moving like panthers, the Black River Indians surround you, a dart hitting your shoulder. As you spin and grab it, another dart pierces your leg. A sudden faintness overcomes you. Then a dart hits you in the back. The ground rails up towards you as you pass out. Turn to 368. When you regain your senses, Mrs. Hudson stands over you. When you find yourself in the bed in Holmes's flat. Oh, poor lad. Mrs. Hudson exclaims. Holmes sits at his, in his chair. Blue smoke curling up from his clay pipe. Our young friend will be fine, Mrs. Hudson, says the detective. Brave lad, she remarks. Hmm, perhaps too much so, Holmes says. Miss Hudson smiles you, over you. Would you care for some biscuits? Your head aches and your arm throbs with pain. How? Holmes smiles. I dispatched Watson to lend a hand. Your friend, Mark Avery, found you in the woods a bit worse for wear from the Black River Indians. He's been most helpful and solicitous. Watson brought you here under his superlative care and has returned to Belton to assist in returning the stone to its rightful owners. He draws on his pipe. Perhaps you can solve the mystery Uh for us, says Holmes, the blue smoke ringing from his aquiline face. Turn to 202. Oh, God, I feel like that knockout was... Oh, no, cut, yeah, cut it. it did. It... I'm so sorry. No, I, I say I was, I was curious, too. After offering you a cup of tea, Holmes asks... Who stole the Black River Emerald? A few cues. There's Mark Avery, Oxy Oxfield, Mr. Muller, Richard Bingley, Muskrat Rafferty. For what it's worth... I... At this point, we would just have to go on vibe anyways. <laughs> but... Yeah. Oh man, I, I oh, oh, this this feels bad. I uh, I think it's Muller out of these. Out of these, yeah, it's for it's either Muskrat or Muller. Muskrat feels more more on like the slightly too obvious side, but mm. I don't think it's Mark. That feels silly. Oxy feels too like it just would work too well. He's just he's the one who's like you know a bully it, it, that feels... he's not even hiding the things that he stole off campus exactly <laughs> he he's just not he's not coy enough he's not it just feels like it would also feel too like sickly sweet in a way to like be like one two punch on that one mm. uh richard bingley i feel like the whole mystery with that like is red herring and it's like the love for uh carolyn crunch mm-hmm. like i do i think that that's i think that's the mislead unless we're supposed to believe that he stole it to give to her but i just can't picture that that was actually the right thing like it's, it's metagaming i can't picture yeah. that it was the right gem around the neck 
And well, then, I mean, like it could have been. It, it, you're. I think the game is trying to intimate that you know, Bingley was was uh, you know, hurried and concerned when yes. you encountered him, and he had something that might have been the gem. But it's very clear that he was just like in a romantic tryst. He had a meeting and was yeah. trying to. Yeah, exactly. He he had other reasons to be hastened and anxious in that moment. Yeah, which basically boils it all the way down to either Muller or Muskrat. And I feel sketched out, yeah, by, we know that Muller needs money. We know that Muskrat needs money. There's a chance they're working together, even. Like, but I, from a story sense, from a metagame sense and story sense, I'm leaning Muller. So, but we don't have the evidence to back it up anyways. Mm. So, do we just, do we just do it? See what it says? Let me lay out my my full full accusation before we make the accusation, which I'm is in. I believe I believe that Mr. Muller yes. kept the lockbox and the key yes. in a safe after having looted it so that he could plant evidence later. I believe that he was in communication with yeah. the elder of the Rafferties. We, in fact, saw them toast at one point to something uh, that they must have done together to be celebrating with a yes. toast. Um, we know them to be in communication. We also know the older muskrat is a fence for stolen property. Yes. So if you are in deep in debt and you have a school full of easy patsies you could put in your way, including the son of this uh, this uh, fence who yes. is a known thief around the property and things have been going missing constantly, you have this really good alibi of, yeah, I mean, things go missing around here constantly. I'll point the finger at someone and kick them out of the school. But on the backside, we're selling this incredibly, incredibly valuable gem. Additionally... Mr. Muller yes. has been checking every single suitcase that comes in, perhaps to know exactly what's valuable coming into the school. Mm. And I think that that could be something in addition, because, you know, things are still going missing. I, I think that that mixed with having the lockbox, having the key, um, having the debt, the the weirdness, specifically the key, the it being stolen on the field with, what he was doing in there and it seeming mm -hmm. like there it was trying to you know ironically divert us away from assuming it was him in that moment based off of trying to it sounds like he was trying to put suspect on all the the students yeah exactly moment. despite the fact that he was there first yes feels so it feels as though i i feel relatively stable in what we know so far Going what we know so far, and a little bit of metagaming going to 208 for Mr. Muller, if you do. Let's do it. All right. I see. Holmes says, reaching for his pipe. And what physical evidence did you uncover, may I ask? You pause to review the clues that you've gathered before replying. If you've checked clue R, 222, EE, 222, clues L and J, 239, otherwise 224. Mm. Do we have any? So we have checked R, which is the, oh. the uh, key and strongbox were found in his safe in his room. Okay, good. We have not checked double E, and we have not checked uh, L, though we have checked J, which is Muller and Rafferty Toast. Interesting. Well, since we have R, we can go to 222. Exactly. Excellent, dear boy! Holmes cries, impressed. You have all the evidence linking directly linking Headmaster Muller to the Emerald. You have all the makings of a genuine detective. 
Turn to 237. Now, think, dear boy. Holmes continues, blowing a cloud of smoke towards the ceiling. How might Headmaster Muller have obtained the emerald? We know that he and all other suspects had the opportunity to sneak the key on the rugby practice field the day that Mark Avery got knocked down. But what method did Mr. Muller employ to get the key? If you check clues B and X, 264, otherwise 266. Unfortunately, we did not have B and X. We had B only that uh. Muller was there first. We did not get the proof that he's a magician. 264? Wait, 266? Uh, it's 266. Oh, God, I went to the wrong page, but 266. <laughs> it's hard to not share that. That's, that is so, it's, yes. It's hard so, to not share that. I, I think we should. 264. Let's read 264. Can we read 264 since we solved it canonically? I... I I am uh, I am uh, tempted to allow it in this instance for the sake of the podcast. Wait, for the reason that is about to be evident. And also, here's here here's why I think it's completely acceptable. Uh, both of these pages lead to two seventy four. Yeah, and neither of them gives us anything. So, so yep, yeah, legitimately, let's do, let's do it. Yeah, so let's go. Let's read two sixty four instead. Then, Mister Muller was an amateur magician. You remind Holmes. He relished picking pockets, and I can recall the curious circular motion that he made over Mark on the rugby field that day. Excellent! Holmes cries, turned to 274. I'm so curious what what the evidence that proved that he was a magician, like, like in the letters, a failed application to magician school. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, 274. Now, did Mr. Muller have a motive? Holmes inquires if you checked clue P, Z, Y, or Q. Turn to any of those pages, otherwise 299. Uh, we have two of these. Oh, really? Uh, we have P, which is he made deep investment losses, and we also have that he is uh, deep in debt to the uh, first, the, the book company. Uh, which, are, which letters are they? Uh, those are P and Z. We okay, do they, not have Y or Q, which both lead to 312. Maybe yeah. those would be a false herring or something. Yeah, well, P and Z both lead to 286, so either way. Mm. Uh, 286 it is, then? I learned that the school is deeply in debt. You reply. And simple observation reveals the physical decline of the buildings. Turn to 305. Holmes sighs and you stir uncomfortably. And as oh, you stir no. uncomfortably saying... All in all, well, uh, ah, all in all, this theft provides an interesting, if simple, puzzle. Putting the pieces together is pleasurable, if an elemental exercise. I still don't understand. You say, if you want to play the adventure again, without hearing Holmes's explanation of the crime, turn to the prologue and begin again. Or if you want to hear the explanation of the crime, turn to three thirty-two. I'm down to just what? Hear it. Uh, yep. Yeah. You know what? Let's hear it. This is, it's not a fail state. Uh, we we got a lot of information, but uh, clearly we did not get enough to lay out our case for what happened. Yeah, we didn't get the yeah. Or or it's, he's just been stringing us along, and we're just completely off, <laughs> and which would suck. But I doubt it. Uh, so three thirty two, I guess. Mister Holmes takes a deep breath and begins a long explanation of the crime. Mr. Muller made a promise to his mother to take care of Joe, his drunkard brother. Relying upon this promise, his brother had moved to town, changed his name to Miller, and lived off of the 
charity of his brother, Headmaster Muller. To silence his brother, Muller began embezzling funds from the school. Hoping to regain the money, he made bad investments with the school money and sank himself further into debt. When the school's debts mounted, the school itself deteriorated. With the threat of services being cut off and his embezzlement revealed, Muller seized the chance to recoup the money by stealing the Black River Emerald. When Higby Ross's music box was stolen, Muller concluded a conducted rather a search of the rooms, and either then, or during one of the school meals, which he attended only infrequently, he discovered a false bottom to Mark's trunk. An amateur magician, he slipped the chain from Mark's neck with a sleight of hand when Mark was knocked unconscious on the rugby field. He then turned to the underworld figure, Mr. Rafferty, whose son Muskrat attended the school, to sell the gem for their mutual benefit. But when Mahoney's fate was made public in the newspaper, the jewel became too difficult to sell and too dangerous to keep, so Rafferty returned the emerald to Muller. As Holmes pauses to light his pipe, you try and take in all that he has said thus far. Mark Avery and Richard Bingley were best friends. Holmes continues, exhaling pale blue smoke. Mark met Becky Connolly in town and fell in love with her. Through him, she met Richard Bingley, and they felt in love, leaving Mark bitter and resentful. Because Bingley's noble parents did not approve of his marriage to a common girl, young Bingley had hid his love for Becky. He sold his valuables and reported them stolen to give her presents. That makes sense. You agree? Muskrat tried to steal the emerald, as he had stolen other valuables from other students, but failed. Holmes asserts... His father was working with Mr. Muller independently of Muskrat. Oh. Oxy wanted the jewel and assumed that Muskrat had stolen it, but he wasn't bright enough to engineer the theft. Holmes pauses to pull on his pipe, blue smoke ringing from his aquiline face, before addressing you directly. A most singular and curious enigma has come your way, and you have, through your ingenuity and resources, helped to solve the mystery. My congratulations, lad. Ah, and speaking of deductions, that is Watson's tread upon the stairs, if I am not very much mistaken. Puffing hard, Dr. Watson enters the room and relates that Mr. that Muller was found unconscious in the woods behind his house with a dart in his side and an uh, open jewel box in his hand. He adds that Mark is safe and would like to see you, and that Becky Connolly and Richard Bingley have eloped. Holmes pulls on the pipe. Please visit us any time you happen by Baker Street, Mr. Rogers, and uh, Master Rogers, rather. Master Curbstomp, rather, rather, and should another adventure come your way, I will be most pleased to be of any assistance that I can. He lays down the pipe. And now, gentlemen, I believe Mrs. Hudson requests our attendance at an especially succulent repast. The end. Honestly, not a bad ending. For, what's up? Not awful. Not awful. I I wish he gave us the opportunity to expound upon our uh, knowledge because yes, while we did not necessarily have many of these clues marked down, uh, a lot of these deductions we were pretty clear on. Oxy wanted the jewel and wasn't bright enough to be able to do it himself. It's Mr. True. Muller was working. Yep. Sorry, uh, Muskrat was working independently of his dad, which we didn't that point didn't at Muskrat have. for trying to steal it as much as I didn't think he was you know, involved, even though his dad was um, I, I i thought he was going to be yeah. a patsy of some kind i i the the thing yeah we basically everything listed is what more or less what we've said the one thing being off of what i said being that i did think that muskrat was working i thought that they were working as a trio potentially mm. 
I did think that, but it's clear that that was an intentional mislead based off of the way this was mm -hmm. phrased here. So I don't feel too dumb for getting mm -hmm. misled. Uh, but I also like that uh, Higby Ross's music box was involved. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hold on. It was the instigating factor for Muller being able to conduct the search of the rooms, which gave we're, him access. We're real good at mysteries, like the actual mystery solving part. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not really the rolling part. Clue finding? Not great. Not, mystery not great. solving? Very, very good. good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I dig it. I like that. I wish that I, I really want to know where we would have figured out about the magician stuff. I'm so curious. Yes. Oh, my God. That would have been so... I mean, uh, at least we found it at all. Like, at, at least we got to see it at the end. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Uh, but hey, that that's, that's that. Any other thoughts you have on the book here? None in particular. No, not actually. I, I do like the, 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 uh, the expanded clue system rather than having clues and deductions because the yeah. uh, delineation between those didn't always make that much sense. You would see something and then make a deduction from it and mark it down as a clue. Yeah. But uh, other than that, I guess I think uh, the, the main thing that is underlined uh, in this adventure so far for us is that uh, we could use a different distribution of our skills, certainly. It could certainly I, be helpful. I think that it would make 100% sense. I, I think we deserve it. I think it's allowed for us to just have the normal dist distribution because... It really is overly penalizing to make a custom character. They, it just screws you over cause if you yeah. play it the normal way. Like, it'd be one thing if it was just like a normal point system where it's like, oh, take one point out of this and put it in something else. It's No, if you take a point out, you're kind of taking three points out. It's kind of, mm -hmm. it's weird. It's a very weird choice. And I think that, you know, also underlined today is the, the unfortunate problem that can sometime arise with the idea of trying to incorporate a mystery into a uh, choose your own or a game book style format is you might know things that your character can't and it's hard to and that's that's a difficult thing across the board in any uh, interactive medium with mysteries yeah because when you're watching a show or something you can just you you don't have any input anyways so it's just like oh i know dora, swipe this right there yeah you idiot dora my favorite mystery show dora the explorer um <laughs> but yeah like you know things like that it's hard to get frustrated because you're just like i mean you might be like uh oh i figured it out really early that you know mm. that's boring or or sometimes you're like that's that was exciting because i figured it out early and i was able to watch how it all plays out yeah some downsides that would show up in in a video game as well or, or something like that um where it's just like you can't mechanically account for the player knowing everything that they could possibly know or deducing things or even guessing things you just mm -hmm. mechanically can't without a very elaborate system uh that I don't know. I, I'm sure with a couple changes, like, especially at the end. No, I. it's just, yeah, It without putting it, the answers in checks in, in, in checks that would spoil it ultimately, I, it's, it's, it'd be really tricky. It can't be like, if you think he's, it's because he's an amateur magician or this or that or that, you could do a multiple choice and like some yeah, of them. Yeah, that's but that's the that's issue. as broad as I could get, right? A multiple choice where it's like if you think it has to do with a hobby of his or something like that, right? And you end up with like five different 
uh, entries, four of them lead to the same page. You're like, okay, what's well, the other one? Like, so many of these systems are open to being accidentally counterplayed by the player who is looking for information and having to actively discount the additional information that is provided just by context of the medium. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> but, hey, I, considering we got knocked out early and it seems like we didn't gather a lot of pretty crucial information, the fact that we were able to do as much as we did means that I had a lot of fun solving this mystery anyways, regardless of what the book tells mm -hmm. me, which I think is the real thing, right? Like, it's not like we weren't able to participate in solving a mystery. And I wouldn't even be surprised if the page we ended on is the page we would end on otherwise, like, even if we mm -hmm. were, got a full solve. Um, so... All in all, if just the goal was having fun, trying to crack the mystery, I did. I really enjoyed it. And I'm excited for the next one. Super keen. Uh, but alas, uh, would you like to thank our, not sponsor, I, keep, I always want to say sponsor, our supporter of the, of the episode, our producer. Absolutely. The executive producer for this episode of Current Turn to Page is Astral Fox. Thank you very much, Astral Fox, for supporting over on patreon.com slash turn to pagecast at or above the hardcover tier. Much appreciated to each and all of the people supporting over there. But the executive producer for this episode is again Astral Fox. Much appreciated. Thank you so much, Astral Fox. Thank you for everybody who is supporting over there, everybody who's listening, liking, commenting on the YouTube, reviewing, all of that stuff. It's all super wonderful, super helpful, helping to keep this show a-going. But yeah, anyways, that's that. That's going to do it here for today. Thank you for listening. We'll uh, see you next time. Bye-bye. Adios.